welcome to yet another year in review episode of Screaming Through the Ages. Now, for this one, we're not going in chronological order here. We've jumped a bit back to the year of 1985. And I've got two guests this time to help me get through this year. I'll go ahead and introduce them. First up, we have frequent yearly episode contributor here with Nathan Bartlebaugh from Phantom Galaxy and Horror Movie Podcast. Nathan, how's it going? It's going well, Trey. Thanks for having me back. And we are kind of going back, back from from our ni- from the 90s, which I'm grateful for because um, I, it feels like the pickings get slimmer <laughs> each year in the 90s. Yeah, it's nice to have a little palate cleanser here before we get back into the mess of 1994. But And I've also got Raul here from Headlong into Monsters and... Well, I think that's it. Headlong, <laughs> headlong into monsters, but Roll's all over the community, and uh, you'll definitely know him. Roll, how's it going? It's going great, man. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, it is a little hard to confuse like me being on other podcasts because I, I feel like I guests on a lot of podcasts frequently. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I'm stoked, man. I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, this is awesome. I think we uh, talked about this a while ago, Raul, and we're finally getting to do it. So. Um, I'm pumped for this. I think 85 is a great year, but do you two have anything you want to say on 85 before we get into our list in general? No, I'm really ready to go. I, the only thing I'll say is I'm, I'm really stoked about it because this is a year I remember very vividly in terms of, I was, I was too young to see most of these movies and I saw them anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, not all of them, but a lot of them I have very, very fond memories of. So there's a lot of nostalgia here. But I, all the movies I have on my list, I did rewatch. So it's not it's not all nostalgia that's fueling this list. Well, I can assure you, I've got no nostalgia because I wasn't born yet. Same. So. Same. I was not born yet. I was <laughs> still three years out from uh, the good Lord blessing the world with my presence. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We've got a a good mix here, but. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into this then. Uh, Raul, you want to start with your number 15? Hell yeah. My number 15, The Mutilator. Weird-ass family reunion where it leads to a bunch of kids getting super murdered. And, uh, man, there's that that great song, just the uh, fall break. <laughs> for the. It is great. <laughs> I love that song. It's amazing how many movies on my list actually have, like, songs that are, like, the title of the movie, or I mean, because the original title for the mutilator was Fall Break. It, I mean, it, it's going to be a running theme through my list, but I I just love this movie. Great kills. I mean, it's cheesy, it's fun, but I don't know. It's it's still a good movie. I love it. Yeah. So I've I've never watched the mutilator actually, and um, somehow that slipped under my radar for this year. But I do know of the song, and I think I've seen that piece of the movie, and at least the start of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Nathan, it sounds like you've seen this one. I have seen it. It's fun. And I, I maybe it just didn't come up on a list when I was looking for the 1985 movies. or you know, And, and Letterboxd is weird. I don't I use it like exclusively, but sometimes trying to find movies, it places them in different years. I, I don't know that would have made my top 15. It'd probably be in the top 20. It's real, And slashers aren't even my like bread and butter. Uh, and I didn't see a lot of the slashers growing up. But the mutilator is a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of gross fun, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And I think what I love the most is that like the fall, the autumn, like ambiance of that movie is really good. Like 
you, you oh, yeah. it's very visceral it really makes you feel the season like beyond the kills and the and the cheesy 80s fashion and songs it's that atmosphere of like you want a, the feel of a really fun like uh, autumn setting that movie has it yeah i got that on my watch list and i'm gonna have to um maybe check that out this october then if it's got that fall setting but yeah and just keep in mind i mean nathan and i have went through this before sometimes we're not all gonna line up on what was what was in our year and what wasn't because i think we've done that plenty of times nathan where it's like well this was actually released and what was the big one we missed was um army of darkness we had it in 92 when it was really 93 or something yeah like that. made in 92 released in in 93 that happens yeah who, who really cares you know <laughs> yeah who really that's what i'm saying who cares um, <laughs> well the thing is so the, the uh, uh letterbox has the mutilator for 84 but imdb okay. has it for 85 and I generally trust IMDb more than Letterboxd when it comes to release dates. Yeah, so... I think that they tend to have the ones that are closest to when the movie was because IMDb actually differentiates between countries when things released and Letterboxd doesn't. At least I don't think it does. Mm-hmm. Where IMDb will yeah. tell you this was released in Argentina and whatever and uh, it was released here in, you know, 85 or, or whatever. And um, with The Mutilator, I think it was a movie that did maybe sit on a shelf for a year or so before it was released. So, But either way, whatever year came out, it's fun. It's it's If you're a slasher fan, <laughs> it's not like a must-see. What's going on with the sequel? Is that... I, that's imminent, right? Or... I'll, I'll believe that when I'm sitting down in the I, and that's how I feel too, bro. I feel like it's like uh, we got to keep hearing about it. And then one day it's either just going to drop online streaming on Tubi and be awful or or it'll it'll be worthwhile. Well, yeah. it could be like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow 2, which went directly to DVD, not even Blu-ray here. What was that last year, Nathan? Yeah, they had to direct to the, the Walmart bin, DWB. <laughs> yeah but anything else on the the meter litter guys nope i'm good uh nathan hit us with your number 15 okay my number 15 is a movie that i when i went back and rewatched it i it's a movie i've always liked but i went back and rewatched and thought hey you know what this really is pretty strong and some people may think it's either too high or too low but this is nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge and I, the thing I really like about the movie, and I, again, I know it's always been sort of considered in the canon of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies to be one that people don't love. And in recent years, it's got a resurgence, particularly with sort of all the, um, you know, the homoerotic undertones or overtones, depending on how you look at it, that, that are certainly a part of that movie. What I appreciate about it is that tonally it is different from the first Nightmare on Elm Street. It still has great and creepy dream sequences. That surrealistic bit at the beginning with the buses and everything. Those things really do, to me, feel like a dream. Some of the later later dream sequences in the later films start to be a little bit overproduced for my liking. But you have a story here. You have a character that you can kind of get into. It's really sort of more of a possession story. So the supernatural elements are, are on point. Freddy hasn't become a complete, you know... Uh, stand-up comic at this point there's still some menace behind him but honestly you know i i love the the first wave of these uh nightmare on elm street movies i like most of them five gets a little out there for me but i like most of them i do think that two is a bit underrated because it they were trying to do something sort sort of different they were trying to give us a story they have characters that you can relate to 
And it works as an overall package. And I think this and Nightmare 3 are the last movies where Freddy has any sort of real where he comes across at all as intimidating. Yeah, and I watched this for the first time here in these last couple weeks. And I got to say, I'm a fan, too. And I don't know why this gets a a bad rap, really, because, uh, yeah, I think it's a fun movie. It's maybe not necessarily what the future sequels for Nightmare on Elm Street would be, but I think it's pretty cool myself. Raul, you seen this one? Oh, absolutely. And I will talk about it later down the line. Okay. So Nathan, anything else on Nightmare on Elm Street part two? No, not really. All right. So my number 15 and I struggled with this and I think I settled on one that I checked out. I think discovered last year and that is Cemetery of Terror, which is a Mexican horror film directed by Ruben Galindo Jr. And this is a little bit of a weird one and why I kind of hesitated to put this as my number 15, because I love the um, the first and third acts. The second act, it's kind of this like teen slasher ripoff type film. And I don't necessarily love that, but. It has a great Halloween atmosphere. It is set on, I don't know why it's set on Halloween and not uh, Dia de los Muertos, being that it's set in Mexico, but hey, it's still got a good feel to it. And I love, you know, that they have the Book of the Dead here. They have Hugo Stiglitz fighting off the undead. <laughs> and yeah, I just really like Cemetery of Terror. And shout out to uh, Vinegar Syndrome, who I know has revived at least a couple of movies on my list tonight, but. They put that one out and I checked it out and I absolutely love it. So I think I've recommended this one before, but if you're looking for a fun Halloween movie, definitely check this one out. That sounds dope, man. I, I, so that was a movie that I wanted to like watch for this episode. I just ran out of time because there's only so many hours in the day, but I kept sitting like I was looking up lists and I kept seeing that pop up on, on lists here and there. And I'm like, man, I got to watch it. And I just failed miserably. No, it, it, it's a, I think you'll like it, Raul. It's um, it's on Shutter too, so it's pretty easy to check out and track down. But dope, I'm gonna have to watch it. Yeah, this one's a lot of fun, Trey. I think you recommended this to me and to the audience on our Phantom Galaxy. We did a Halloween episode, perhaps, and I think you brought this one up then. And I saw it back around that time, and it is it's a lot of fun. It just missed the top uh, 15, but it is in the top 20. And I, I actually kind of like that dichotomy where it sort of does change over to more of a slasher in the second half, but it has the same mm-hmm. kind of fun beats. We were talking recently with uh, Matt Rawlings over at HMP about uh, Hell Knight. And there, there, you know, there are moments where the vibe, that Halloween-esque vibe, feels similar in this movie. But I like this one a lot. So that's my number 15. Raul, what do you got for number 14? Oh, man, my number 14 is a crazy, demented, absolute bonkers movie with tons of violence. Just kidding. It's Teen Wolf starring Michael (laughs) J. Fox. The swerve. Man, barely horror, but you know what? I think it's great. You know, it's if... It's like the ginger. If if ginger snaps was for a guy and funny instead of like disturbing, that's Teen Wolf, <laughs> right? And if Catherine Isabel had surfed on top of a car more or played basketball, absolutely, man. I love this movie so damn much. The the uh, the the transformation scenes were always like 
stupid funny. The, the guy, <laughs> especially when when uh, Michael J. Fox's dad is like, "Oh, me too," you know. He opens the door. He's like, "Sorry," <laughs> like get, they have a hugging moment where they're both wolves. Yeah, it was great. Loved it, man. Oh, I think that's a great choice for all. And you don't have to justify it to us, man. We've we've stretched some things on some of these episodes, but I think that's a perfect choice. I didn't even think about that when I was putting this list together. But yeah, that's a great one. I remember we taped this off TV like in the 80s and we wore that VHS out. <laughs> Teen Wolf 2, not so much, but. <laughs> I always thought like, oh, maybe like stage dive knee sliding is a legitimate way to play basketball. And I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried that only works when you have a lot of hair on your legs to prevent the chafing you bet your ass it does because I skated my knees real fucking good <laughs> it only works when you're in were- werewolf form yeah. it was just a and like a hard skid and then like an immediate stop yeah I feel like this is one of those Michael J. Fox movies that gets like goes like for the most part under the radar these days you know and I know a lot of people think it's dumb and it is dumb but it's kind of dumb in the best way yeah but it's yeah I love it it's so good no that's a great one Rob but moving on Nathan what do you got for number 14 (laughs) well let's keep with insane weirdness but this time legitimately it's insanely weird but also not uh Still in the in the vein of a kids movie, this mm-hmm. is a movie called The Peanut Butter Solution, and it's a kids film. It's it it feels like Roald Dahl meets John Waters on acid. It's very very weird, and you could even say, well, maybe it's not a horror movie, but I can guarantee you, any children unlucky enough to have seen this movie as kids would have been pretty freaked out by it. It's it's excessively strange. It's, it has a young boy who ends up at this house where there's a a couple of homeless ghosts that that were incinerated that burned to death essentially. Now they they haunt this house. They scare him and his hair falls out, and so now he's ostracized at school. And he ends up ma- mixing this peanut butter solution up so he can grow hair. Now his buddy, uh, there's even a scene where his buddy wants to you know put some down there and, and hasten puberty along. So now this kid has spewing locks coming out of his groinal area and <laughs> like down sticking out of the bottoms of his pant legs as he runs to school. And meanwhile, the other kid has grown a big lock of hair on his head. And there's a horrifying uh, dream sequence where dogs grab the hair and yank him to the ground and just begin to maul him. But he is abducted at one point and hastened into a, what would you call it, Trey, a sweatshop where children are forced to make meetings? (laughs) And his friends have to go on a trip along with the kid with the long pubes to save him. And the ghosts come back into play. But uh, I've never seen so many weird off-kilter elements in a film that at some level is supposed to be designed for children. Yeah, this one's insane. I think I left it off my horror list, even though there definitely are some horror elements. But this I I really enjoyed this one. I didn't know. I just watched this a couple weeks ago for the first time. And yeah, I had no idea what to expect. And it was even crazier than I could have imagined. But yeah, Raul, have you seen this one? Absolutely not. But you had me at kid with the pubes. I wrote that down. <laughs> it's a good it's a good joke. <laughs> it's, it is ridiculous. And but it's a fun movie. It's weird. It's a Canadian kids movie and i'm telling you you'll just you look at one site after another and be like what the hell is going on right now no it's that is that is the best i have to immediately watch this i movie. think you're gonna enjoy that one Raul. that's the... <laughs> i think it's on streaming yeah, isn't I think it, it uh, maybe is to be 
is where I watched it. I can't remember, but I think it's Tubi. It sounds sounds like a safe bet. And I picked this up actually at uh, one of the horror conventions. Severin had a table there, and the Severin guys were. I was looking at some movie, and the Severin guys were like, "Oh, what about the peanut butter solution?" I was like, "Wow!" I I rem- I thought I dreamed this movie, <laughs> so I instantly bought it. Yeah, that's a good one. Definitely, if um if you are listening to this and haven't checked that one out, that's one to. It's one to watch, and I would say there's definitely some horrifying scenes if nothing else. But yeah, you can watch it with your kids, but be prepared for a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so my my kid's seven, all like seven and a half. Like, is, is he going to be good with this? Uh, the like so there's creepy moments, but it still has that weird. It's it's like a, a shade darker than like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Would you agree with that, um, Atrey? Yeah, yeah. I I'm trying to think. I mean, and then the kid might ask, why is that kid got hair coming out of his pants? But you might be able to <laughs> gloss over that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> or, or or run with it. Whatever, yeah. you know, it's time. We're going to have the talk and we're going to watch the peanut butter solution while we do it. <laughs> I mean, my I, I, I manscape. I shaved my junk bald and my son's seen it. So he knows hairs down there. He just, I'm just, I'm just there gonna, go. I'm just gonna tell him. Look, that's what happens when you don't shave your junk. So it's a cautionary fable. It's <laughs> gonna horrify him the most out of anything else in the movie. More than the kids working in the sweatshop. Or do you want to trip on your own pubes running across to the bus stop? No, you don't. <laughs> oh gosh, how do how do we even follow that up here? Uh, you just keep moving, just keep yep. running, just like just like that kid yep. with the pubes. <laughs> Oh gosh, let's uh let's let's switch. Uh so my number 14 here is the same as Nathan's number 15 and it's a Nightmare on Elm Street part 2. This is the first time I watched this like I said and I think it's got some potential to to move up the list on rewatch. I already think it might be in contention with part 3 for my second favorite in the franchise. I mean, I like I liked it a lot. I thought, you know, I thought it had a lot of the conventional slasher stuff in there. And I, while still being, I, I, I guess I want to say, I felt like nightmare on Elm street kind of rejuvenated the slashers at the, the mid eighties. And I think that still has a lot of that feel. It's just, albeit maybe not in a direct way, but Hey, you still get Freddie. You still get some, uh, some kills. You get some very interesting kills as well. I mean, they're not just straightforward. So yeah, I enjoyed nightmare on Elm street part two. All right, Raul. What's your number 13? My number 13 is uh, another horror comedy. Once bitten with Jim Carrey. Sweet Moses. It is stupid funny. I used to confuse this movie for a uh, uh, damn it. I just said it. What the hell? Vampire's kiss. Vampire's kiss. Yes. So I thought, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen once bitten. Turns out I had not. But it's. It's just uh, Jim Carrey's a high school kid that's trying to get laid because his girlfriend won't like have sex with him. And he ends up getting bit by a vampire. He's got like two best friends. They have like an intimate moment in the locker room shower scene. He, him and his best friends. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great scene where um, there's like a, like a chick fight dance battle in a high school dance. His girlfriend is beautiful you know stunning neighbor next door red or not redhead i have a thing for redheads but brunette (laughs) there's also this 
a great line uh, that the girlfriend gives when she's like, he doesn't want when he, she's talking to the vampire vampiress, I guess, countess. Uh, she says she doesn't want you because you're cold and, and heartless and mean. He wants me because I'm I'm nice and loving and sweet. So fuck off. oh my gosh the jokes are so damn funny i love this movie love it love it love it yeah this is a fantastic choice raul i'll probably be talking about this one a little later but um, i had watched this for the first time i think about a year ago and i was just surprised at how good it was and you know that high school School, what was that a high school dance or something like that that scene whatever that was was amazing and whatever that was is indeed yeah. <laughs> correct it um, was like the song in there was like what uh, uh uh he's my man or some shit like that yeah it's it's like a fever dream of like of what an 80s high school dance could be if you were like hopped up on pcp or something <laughs> yeah and Jim Carrey kept saying, I'm not wearing a costume. Yeah. <laughs> the dancing in that's great. That whole scene, it kind of like makes makes oh, the movie. The choreography is oh. incredible in that. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever said that, of, but <laughs> <laughs> I like this one a lot too. And it like this was definitely a, a staple growing up. And it's a perfect sort of a double bill with Teen Wolf. Or if you want to go with the, what was the Love at First Bite. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it fits oh, well yeah, with that. Yeah. It's it's a little sillier than the Fright Nights of the Lost Boys, but I like it. And shout out to Lauren Hutton makes a pretty hot vampire. There were a lot of hot vi- vampiresses this year in 1985, and she was definitely one of them. All right. That's a incredible choice there, Raul. Um, I know we were joking about that one earlier, but it's a <laughs> it's a good pick, I think. Nathan, what do you have for number 13? So number 13 this is this is a film that was technically released in another country the year before it was released here and this is how i saw it and that's why i'm putting it on the list even though it's not the best version of this film and that is godzilla 1985 <laughs> uh, as a huge godzilla fan i this is one of the films because i you know was growing up in the 80s and my exposure to godzilla was here or there on Saturday afternoons. The first movie I ever saw was Godzilla versus Megalon. So it was definitely right in the middle of the silliest parts of the Showa era. You know, Godzilla's literally doing tag team wrestling moves and like little Irish jigs and stuff, which was cool in its own way. But I, I didn't have a sense of the menace of Godzilla. In fact, the first movie I saw that my dad was like, oh, this is Godzilla. It actually turned out to be the beast from 20,000 Fathoms with stop motion Harryhausen stuff. So when I saw the suit work, I was like, oh, this isn't that imposing. Well, Godzilla... The return of Godzilla, as it is billed in Japan, and then it Godzilla 1985 is done really as a sequel to King of the Monsters, the American mm-hmm. edit of Godzilla, because Raymond Burr is brought back. But it's so cool what they do with that suit work and those those miniature special effects for this film. This gives you a sense of Godzilla as menacing again, like he was in the original film. Those scenes of him towering over the city, yeah, it's not special effects that would have been in similar films of 1985 here in the States, but it works. It gives a scale and a grandeur to Godzilla that they're able to take on and, and, and use in the high Sierra. This was when Godzilla really felt uh, overwhelming and powerful and, and, and even scary to me because the black and white film, I had seen clips and stuff of it, but I hadn't even seen the original Godzilla at this point. So for me, Godzilla 1985 was the first touch point with experiencing what 
Godzilla was initially intended to be, which is this massive force of destruction, this uh, metaphor for the bomb, this kind of uh, walking death, you know, all of that stuff is conveyed in that film. I love the way he looks. I love the scenes where they bring the sort of uh, all the, the spaceship, you know, uh, fighter out to, to combat Godzilla. Well, when he, the electricity brings him back to life, you're like half the time you're rooting for him and half the time you're like, oh, we, this is this is a little creepy. So I do love Godzilla 1985. This a lot of it's a nostalgia because I do believe the original Japanese cut is far superior. But, yeah, that's my pick. Yeah, and I went back and forth on this one, Nathan, because I haven't seen Godzilla 1985. I've seen Return of Godzilla, and I would say next to the original, that's probably the most horror, most of a horror film that a Godzilla has been. And again, I haven't seen 1985. I've just seen Return, which came out in 84, I believe. They're very similar. The 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 eighty four version is just better and it makes more sense. <laughs> is there any Doctor Pepper in the nineteen eighty five version? <laughs> no, no. That was just the commercial. Just the commercial. Okay, but okay. They played the commercial while they were airing the film. I do remember that. Yeah, I haven't seen this one, but you got me curious. Like Godzilla is a huge blank spot for me in my like movie experiences. I've seen a few here and there. Uh, used to watch a lot of them grow. Well, what felt like a lot of them growing up when I'd visit my my cousins, but I it turns out they only had like three. Um, <laughs> They're we sort of interchangeable. Some of them are. <laughs> yeah, so I would just rewatch like those three movies, and the only one I remember was uh, was one with Mothra, and that's it. Yeah, and Raul, I think there there are definitely some scenes of horror in this one. And I mean, there's some pretty scary shots from what I remember and just the way they introduced Godzilla, because this is kind of like the reboot. And they were saying, you know, this was one of those first instances of all the sequels don't matter. This is a sequel to the original. So it's definitely worth checking out. I think it's one of the um, more horror oriented ones. And the one of the things I distinctly remember is when they would air this on television at the very end of the credits, they would have the little short animated film Godzilla versus Bambi which is just Bambi eating grass in a field with peaceful music. And then Godzilla's foot comes down and smashes Bambi into the ground. Now I've seen that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I've also seen, have you seen Godzilla versus Bambi round two? No, that I've not seen, but I'm very curious. (laughs) Yeah. You should, you should YouTube that. No spoilers. (laughs) All right. What do you, uh, or, Sorry, it's back to me, right? <laughs> what do you, Trey? What do you have? What, it's three? a mystery to me, too. So my and this is keeping the um, the kind of streak here alive, because this is also one that I just checked out after kind of I don't know if I talked to you before or after Nathan, but it's one called Warning Sign. And this one, it has at least one um familiar actor here in uh, Sam Watterson, who I think that's the CSI guy or is that the law and order guy? I can't remember, but anyway, and has Kathleen Quinlan in it as well, but this is about this kind of experimental lab in this small town. And there's a police officer and his wife works on the inside as like a security officer. And there's an outbreak and a virus inside this facility And honestly, where it goes from there, it gets pretty crazy. These are very much 
you know, this outbreak, everyone knows, you know, the government comes in, everyone kind of knows what's going on. Everyone knows the score inside and outside, really anyone who knows about this place. And they become these kind of sentient walking dead. I mean, they know these aren't brainless zombies just searching for their next meal. These are something a little bit different. And I liked this one as this kind of cautionary tale about messing with diseases and viruses and how that can all get out of hand. And I think we've all seen, you know, we've probably had enough of that with the recent few years, but I really enjoyed this one and I hadn't heard of it before. Yeah, I really like this. This is uh this was just literally, this was number 16 for me. It was just right outside of this part of the list. And uh, it's creepy and I like its approach to zombies because it is, if you want to call them zombies, it, it, it definitely has a lot of vibes of the, of these, contamination films and contamination and sort of nuclear destruction. They were very much on everybody's mind in like 1985 and 86, you know, the years surrounding this, there's a movie around this time called Testament, which is about people just, you know, watch a mother and her children dying of radiation poisoning in a small town after the bomb hits, like that kind of stuff was all over the place. This movie is like, it's half fun sort of, you know, pulp horror and then the other part has a kind of serious you know that that paranoid fear bent to it i i have not seen this one but you guys are intriguing me i i my my interest is peaked yeah i didn't know at first if it was going to go in the direction of horror raul but i think it absolutely does when you get probably a i don't know a third of the way a half away through the movie and it gets pretty intense. I mean, there's some pretty intense scenes here. You'd say this is a horror movie pretty much through and through, right, Nathan? Oh, yeah. It does definitely start as almost like a TV movie feel to it. But that kind of helps it because you, you're you dealing with sort of the mundane and the day-to-day, and then the horror is sort of ramped up. And by the end of the story, everyone is very much engulfed in what's going on. And, it, and, and yeah, you get these these zombie-like creatures that are they're pretty interesting. Yep. So that's my number 13. Um, Raul, what you got for number 12? My number 12 is, uh, so this is an animated uh, movie. It's a, it's a, it's an anime movie called Vampire Hunter D. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm so glad you guys agree with me. I love this movie. It's, it's uh, it's like the older style of animation. A lot of like younger people would probably be familiar. Like it's it's similar to uh, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, which is kind of uh-huh. like yeah. having a resurgence. Yes. In popularity. I love that you dropped Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, love I, dude, show. I loved that. That was like my shit when I was young. Yep. Uh, so it has like a very similar animation style to Yu Yu Hakusho, but essentially it's just a story of this girl who is bitten by a noble vampire with the the intent of becoming this vampire's like wife slave uh, vampire s and she's like nah dog hell no to all of that so she (laughs) hires uh, a vampire hunter by the name of d to kill the noble vampire and free her from this curse and that's exactly what he does it's i mean it's a very very simple premise that we've seen a lot of times in other similar movies, but it has that beautiful animation style. And there is a lot of violence in this freaking movie. And it is 
awesome. I mean, right off the bat, the opening scene is just violence on violence. Like a, a monster gets shot through the face several times. Horse gets eaten. Werewolf shows up. And it's it's just beautiful. It's a beautifully animated movie. Yes, I remember seeing this, and this was the one of the gateway things into. I mean, when I was younger, I would watch like in the uh, here in the states they took like Mazinger Z and turned it into Trans or Z and played that on, and I saw that. And of course, you had Voltron and stuff like that, and Robotech had been sort of homogenized. But it wasn't until a little bit later, so I was in probably middle school, and the Sci Fi Channel had just showed up, and this was before it was the S Y F Y. It was just S I F, you know. Uh, but the thing is, they had this weekend and they were calling it Japanimation. <laughs> that was the terminology they were using at the time. And they played like Robot Circus and uh, probably Akira and a mm-hmm. couple, uh, Twilight of the Cockroaches, a few other movies. And then this one. And I remember Raul turning this one on and it wasn't the beginning. It was probably in the middle of the movie. But there's a sequence where the Vampire Hunter D character is just on a tear like – She's been taken away and he is cutting, he's literally just cutting his way through this army of monsters. And there's this giant homunculus that rears up and he's cutting it. He's like sawing through the tendons with his sword. And I remember there's a bit where a little monster is in front of him and he cuts it. And then the animation just slows down so you can watch it slide apart and you can see every little ventricle and every little vein and, and gut and pocket of meat as it falls apart and i'm like wow this is different <laughs> i haven't seen this before absolutely i mean the, the animation's so beautiful at one point they're like this traitor vampire that was serving the 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 count or the noble vampire um gets a completely obliterated and he ends up kind of becoming like an inverted cross of blood just hanging mm. on a wall yeah. Which yeah. Is great. yeah and i think amongst the uh the blood and the violence and all that too. There's still some pretty good moments between D and the, the leading lady in this one, especially one where she kind of offers herself up to, to him to bite his, bite the neck. And I think that's a pretty well done scene. And well, this is my first experience with animated boobs. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this is a, uh, you know, even though I do as someone who still follows modern anime and stuff, there's something about this art style and the way they did things back in the late mid to late eighties and early nineties. And it it was so well done talking about something like this and Yu Yu Hakusho, the animation was just so well done. And that's what they were focusing on. You might have some, you know, eyes that look a little off here and there, but you're still getting these beautiful animation uh, sequences. And I really like this one. Unfortunately, this one fell just outside my list. I um, had two Japanese films and a cemetery of terror kind of fighting it out for the last spot. And, um, went with Cemetery Terror, but yeah, this is in my top twenty, but not it. It did make the top fifteen. Have you, Raul? Have you seen um, Vampire Hunter D: Bloodlust, the sequel from like two thousand one? No, I so saw when I was trying to find this movie to rewatch it. I barely know. I barely found out that like that way by just fine trying to watch the movie that there is a sequel. I'm like, what the hell is this? I've never even heard of this. It's good. So I, I actually think the sequel's better, like as a story. And it, it retains a lot of the the violence and, and and but the one of the things I love about the original and even more so with the sequel is it's got that weird gothic 
monster world, but it's also futuristic, right? So it blends those two elements of science fiction and fantasy. And the sequel does that even more so. And I think the sequel finds an interesting way where D is a major character, but he's not solely the primary character. And there, there's lots of interesting side stories. So I highly recommend the sequel. Oh, that it's definitely on my list of things to watch. Yeah, I was on Instagram or something posting about watching this, and I think someone said, like, I really like the sequel, too. It was either Instagram or Twitter, and I was like, oh, I've got to check that out. Oh, you've not seen it, Trey? No, I haven't seen the sequel. Yeah, no. it's, it's very good. I imagine. I mean, I kept. I think I kept getting this one confused for the longest time with Helsing, which is another vampire anime that I don't necessarily care for. But yeah, this this is an excellent one. I'm really glad that you had this on your list, Raul, because I was like, where can I talk about this one? <laughs> right here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Raul, we've got to talk uh, off air about Yu Yu Hakusho because I might get something in the works with you. Noise. I'm a big fan of that, too. Trey. Are you really? I never yeah, knew. Yeah. OK, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to only, I like we all we end up talking about is the anime my kids watch. <laughs> <laughs> which is just naruto and yes, one piece so right like, that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to reconvene because i'm like what now. the hell's a pervy sage what is this trade what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what does uwu watching? mean is uwu good <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh the first time a kid's like uwu in the moaning i'm like why are you moaning <laughs> uh, Raul loves him some sexy jitsu who, my kids have somehow got Netflix jacked so that when Netflix, when if you hover over uh, Naruto, it plays some sexy jitsu scene where, where he causes some guy's nose to bleed by turning into like 50 naked blonde girls. What to the be hell? fair, to be fair, that's like half of the first season or the first like series of Naruto. It's so. super creepy with sexy or, or pervy sages. Like, yeah, use some of that sexy jitsu. I don't want to hang around you when you're I'm like, what is happening right now? You realize this is a little boy, right? Yeah. Good <laughs> that, that's good. the most that's the most overpowered jitsu, though. You know how many problems <laughs> I could have gotten out of like out of by just <laughs> turning into like 50 naked blonde women? <laughs> There's always a downside, though, okay? <laughs> There's a downside somewhere here. Just haven't thought of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There. <laughs> I'd say there's a downside. Um, <laughs> we should we should move on. We should. Yeah, let's on. let's move on. Nathan, you got some editing to do, my friend. Um, we're not. We're not. <laughs> Nathan, what do you what do you have as number twelve? So number twelve is a is a movie that a very prominent critic in the '80s gave a thumbs up to this, and he did so by saying that. He felt it was a very funny and very knowing comedy. Now, I enjoy the film in the same capacity, but I think he was wrong. I actually don't think the people who made this film set out to make a comedy, but they sort of did anyway. And this is 1985's Silver Bullet, Stephen King, based off the Stephen King book, Cycle of the Werewolf. I love this movie. And Roger Ebert was the critic. He gave it three stars. I... And I can see what he's talking about because this movie is very zany. It's very wacky. It takes the central story of this werewolf uh, prowling this town of Targer's Mills. And the book was really more like it was a very uh, it was really just a novella that had then been illustrated. And the the illustrations really kind of brought the life, this cycle that followed all of the months of the year. And you'd have a different illustration. And I think Bernie Wrightson did the artwork for the book. So the book's very beautiful. And you had this mystery unfolding about who was the werewolf, but it wasn't really about the characters. It was kind of just the experience of, of having uh, Stephen King kind of touch upon this 
this werewolf trope. And the movie's like, okay, we know what we need. We need uh, Corey Haim as this little kid who's, you know, he's paraplegic. He can't walk. He's in the wheelchair. And then his uncle, his drunk Uncle Red, played by Gary Busey, is going to build him a rocket-powered wheelchair. And at some point, Red and the kid and his sister are all going to do battle with this werewolf in the town. And this film is packed to the gills with weird scenes like a scene where a, a mob goes out to hunt down the werewolf and they're in the mist and the lady actually says to the guy next to her you what's wrong you're gonna make lemonade in your pants you know <laughs> there's the, this great sequence the guy has the guy from the bar has this big board that says the peacemaker on it and you know he's like beating you see his hand come out of the mist to beat the werewolf and then his hand goes back down and now the werewolf hand comes out holding the peacemaker whap 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 into the fog but that's coupled with scenes of a man finding the mutilated body of his child and just weeping over it in like pure grief. Weird juxtapositions of scenes. There's a there's a scene where a priest tries to run a kid in a wheelchair off the side of a bridge with his car. I mean, this movie's packed with weirdness. But as a kid, when I saw it, I completely connected with it. Is this? You know, it was like the Goonies to me or the Monster Squad. It's a little darker, but you know these kids and their uncle go on this sort of hardy boys-esque mission to hunt down this werewolf. It's got, it's not particularly graphic. Uh, the werewolf could maybe be a little bit better in terms of the werewolf design, but overall silver bullets, a very fun movie. And I do think it first and foremost sort of functions as an, uh, I do believe an unintentional comedy. Yeah. You guys might be shocked. This is one of two films. I think that didn't make my list um, that I think will make both of your list, but I still like this one a lot. And I think Gary Busey gives a very Gary Busey performance here. And I, <laughs> I like Everett McGill, Everett McGill as the, uh, because, you know, we have to talk about a Twin Peaks character anytime we do one of these, Nathan. Do like Everett McGill yeah. as the, the reverend in this. And I think it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun werewolf movie. And especially, you know, now we don't get a ton of straightforward werewolf movies. And I think this is one of them. So I do like Silver Bullet. It just didn't quite make my list. Nathan, I'm going to disagree with you on one point you said about the movie. It is pretty graphic when compared to other movies like The Goonies and and uh, Monster Squad. And the oh, only reason graphic I say compared that, to those films, yeah, for sure it's more graphic than those. I meant like the other werewolf films. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, like, so I was watching this today and my son came in the room and it was, I can't remember what scene it was, but it it got him. Like, he was pretty freaked out and he's he's pretty good i mean he takes stuff uh in stride i mean we've seen almost all the alien movies together and i just look at him and and he says uh he's like oh what are you watching i'm like oh it's a movie about a werewolf and it was actually shortly after that it's uh it's the scene that you mentioned where the werewolf arm comes out of the fog now with the bat and just starts beating the shit (laughs) out of like one of the townspeople (laughs) And I knew that he would had, had kind of freaked out at this point. So I just started laughing my ass off because if I find it funny, he's going to find yeah. it funny. And thankfully it was a genuinely funny moment. So it was really easy just to exaggerate. Yeah. Now that is, that is purposeful comedy. There's no way someone didn't conceive of that scene and think this is, this is humor. Oh, absolutely. But, but then you also get like weird ass, like, 
pretty horrific scenes where like the entire church congregation is turn- turning into werewolves. Yeah. And that and old that, lady that banging cool. on the keys. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, what, what the hell? <laughs> no, but that's the thing. And, and Rowan had a similar experience because my memories of this movie growing up were, Oh, like I literally thought when I went back to watch this and I sat down with my kids, I thought this was a PG 13 that, that was what was lodged in my memory. And I was like, oh, it is not. <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely a um, a good one, Nathan. And now that you guys are sitting here talking about it back and forth, I'm feeling bad for leaving it out because I really do like that one. But uh, there's, there's just too many movies to fit in this list. Okay, we'll uh, switch over to another Stephen King adaptation with my number 12, and that is Cat's Eye. And this is one that I think I caught, um, you know, when I was in college, we had a bunch of stations where um, our cable boxes would just pick up random, you know, HBO channels or something. And I think that's how I came across this one night. I was on a random HBO channel and Cat's Eye came on and I was like, what is this? I don't think I'd ever heard of it before. And I really, really do enjoy this one. I think it's a little out of the box. It's an anthology film. But I don't think it's necessarily in line with a lot of other King adaptations. I don't know how many other anthologies have been done with Stephen King stuff, which is weird considering he's done so many like collected works. And uh, yeah, I just really like this one. I believe I like all three segments. I think they're all pretty strong. I think the ledge is my least favorite. But yeah, my number 12 is Cat's Eye. I've not seen it. Well, I, I hold on. Is Cat's Eye the one with like? No, I'm thinking of Cat People. Never mind. Never mind. Pretend <laughs> I didn't say anything. Yeah, this is the one with um, James Woods in it, um, and has a segment. And then Drew Barrymore, correct, Nathan? Yes, and you will remember it for if you remembered it all. If you have seen it, you would remember it for the movie where the little troll comes out of the wall to steal the girl's breath. Does not sound familiar, so I guess you I haven't have seen, not it. seen it. <laughs> nope. Yeah, but I yeah, I definitely think you would remember this one if you if you saw it, Raul. But yeah, it's a good one. But yeah, I I agree. I have I'll have more thoughts on it later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're moving pretty fast here. Raul, what do you have for your number eleven? Uh, so and speaking of moving fast, we're just going to blow right past this one because my number 11 is Silver Bullet and uh, <laughs> talked about it a little bit on uh, uh, just like two minutes ago. So, yeah, I'm just that's my number 11 Silver Bullet bitch and movie. <laughs> Absolutely. OK, Nathan, what do you got for number 11? Cat's eye. <laughs> <laughs> Got the Stephen King out of the way early. Stephen King out of the way, but you know, I really do like this movie a lot. It's got it follows it from the perspective of the cat. That's what's kind of cool. Now you mentioned Stephen King anthologies, but this was coming right on the heels of Creep Show. So, oh yes, yes. Um, How could I forget about that one? A year yep. or two later, and I think, I, but I think you're right. Like outside of that, there aren't a lot, except for like when they've done them on on television, where they've done like uh, nightmares and dreamscapes and things like that. Oh, but yeah. yep. Cat's Eye, what is cool is they do tie together with that the idea of you're following this uh, this tabby cat as it goes on these sort of 
three interconnected adventures. And the first two, he's not really that much a part of. And they are based off of existing King stories from the Night Shift. One is The Ledge and The Quitters Incorporated, which is basically role. The, the concept of the original of that episode is James Woods, who's trying to quit smoking, goes to a... A, a company that will help you quit smoking, but it's run by the mob <laughs> and they take all of their tactics that they used to, you know, st- to run their business to that. They apply the same force and pressure to people who violate the no more cigarettes rule. So it, mm-hmm. it gets a uh, pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. It's funny, but it's also dark. The ledge is Robert Hayes walking around the outside of a, of a building at at gunpoint basically. And there's a horrifying scene involving pigeons. And then you get that third story, which is the cat trying to protect the little girl from the troll in the wall. And that's like fabulous. I love, I love all three stories, but that story involving the troll, particularly when you're a kid, it's like such wish fulfillment of like the pet that's going to protect you from the, the monster. And they have these great sets that have been built. So you really, you, you get the cat and the troll having full scale battles with one another against the backdrop of this little girl's books and on her record player and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. And it's got a really crazy, goofy eighties uh, theme song that is the same as the title of the film playing over the, the end of the movie. Yep. Awesome. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Yep. I think you'll like it, Raul. Just like the, you know, the other ones we recommended to you. I keep feel like I keep saying that, but no, it's, it's my fault for like having this particular year, kind of a huge blind spot for me. Hey, that just means you have a lot of fun movies to catch up on. That's true. That's fair. And this one, I think you may want to give it a glance first. This is a PG 13. And if your kid's not phased by a lot, this there, there's definitely some gateway horror, particularly I think in that last segment, you know, the, with the with the little troll which each segment is in itself a short film so you could conceivably show them the last segment without the rest sweet all right we're gonna blow past my number 11 because it is once bitten <laughs> <laughs> and yeah yeah you guys uh we've talked about this a lot earlier and i absolutely love this uh comedy horror horror comedy whatever you want to call it it's great Okay, Raul, we're into our top 10s now. What do you have for number 10? Well, I have what my co-host Ashley would probably consider a hate crime. Oh, no. Um, because, <laughs> because my number 10 is The Return of the Living Dead, and she would absolutely <laughs> like it, like be furious with me if she knew that it was this low on my list. So no one tell her. No one tell her. <laughs> I thought I was going to get in trouble for where I had it at. And <laughs> <laughs> but this movie is just great. You know, the tri the trioxin, the er- like everything about this movie is just so damn fun. Uh, everything from you need a medical supply to the half dog, the yellow man, the tar man, uh, the, the rabid weasels in the garbage bag, Burton, <laughs> Ernie, my gosh, it's, it's, the punks and the 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 blue collar or the yeah the blue collar workers, it's it's great. It's one of the only like zombie movies I can think of where the message of a zombie movie is not that oh humanity is the real monster. This is just oh shit, what are we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very much right. It's like there are a lot of movies that came out this year 
with the horror comedy vibe. And I got to feel like it was coming off of thriller, right? Like the, you know, the energy of thriller with like, how can we sustain that energy for a full movie? And there's a couple of movies that do that. I feel like this is one of them. Mm-hmm. And this is a, an amazing movie. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's just, I kind of have maybe some more fun with some of the other movies. And that's why it's at number 10 instead of higher. Hey, we're not going to judge you for that. And I, uh, seriously, Raul, like I rewatched this, I think last year. And before that, I, it was a lot lower on my list too, but I think it is a lot of fun and I'll definitely be talking about it later. Mm-hmm. All right, Nathan, what's your number 10? My number 10 is maybe actually, um, maybe it's a little bit of a, a deep cut. That is the new kids ah, yeah. directed by Sean S Cunningham. And it's uh, you get this brother and sister. They come to this small Southern town and uh, they find a local gang that's terrorizing everyone. And it's uh, got a lot of faces you'd recognize, including James Spader in a, in one of his very early creeper roles. And uh, he's a lot of fun. The, the whole movie is dark, but uh, also, it, you know, it has a momentum to it. It kind of keeps you going. It it escalates. It starts a little slow, and then it, it, it escalates quite quickly. But it starts out with a slow motion Tom Atkins training montage. So really, you know, that you that you still have things to do after you do that is uh, impressive, I guess, in this film. But I like it a lot. It's a very good thriller. It does it does veer, I think, fully into horror territory before the end. Mm-hmm. You're going to see other places you recognize Eric Stoltz among them, and as I mentioned the aforementioned Tom Atkins. So it's, it's, I really like it a lot. It is a movie that, because I don't think many people have seen it, I kind of just want to leave it for everyone to discover, but it was a, it was a one I've recently seen. I'd never seen it before. And it really did surprise me with how gripping it was. Yeah. And I just saw this one last year and um, yeah, you, I think one thing you forgot to mention is there is like an amusement park in this and that definitely plays into the story that's well. true and that's probably a large part of why i enjoy this one because i am a sucker for any movie that does bring in that amusement park carnival atmosphere that is definitely a heavy element in this film yep yeah and i i really enjoy this one as well you had me at amusement park i'll be checking it out soon <laughs> yes poor raul we've added so many to his list he's gonna be I'm just, I got a notebook next to me. I'm just writing this shit down. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is kind of uh, weird. This is working out. My number 10, um, I was watching this movie. I threw this movie on as we were recording and it just reached its uh, final act here as I'm mentioning it. And that is uh, nothing underneath. And this is a late giallo by Italian filmmaker uh, Carlo Vanzina. And this is all about the fashion world. And this is another one that Vinegar Syndrome recently kind of put together with its sequel, which is nowhere near as good. But in this, we have a brother who claims to be psychically linked to his sister, who is in the you know world of fashion and photo shoots and all this. I don't know. Don't watch this one with the kids. Nathan's put a lot of these up for watching with children. Don't do this one. Um, but this has a Donald Pleasance in it with a mustache playing as a uh, kind of police commissioner here. And for you, Nathan, it has Renee Simonson. Go look up a picture of her. And I think she fits your profile pretty well. Um, so <laughs> it's not ominous. <laughs> 
So unfortunately for you, I was watching this and had to bring that up, but I like nothing underneath. It's a pretty unconventional giallo and it's got a lot of twists and turns in it. And yeah, I don't think this one gets talked about enough unless it's myself or Ian Urza talking about it. So um, that's definitely one to check out if you are into kind of slasher giallo films. And yes, 100% Trey. 100% she is. (laughs) I told you. (laughs) But uh, Nathan, I can't remember. I've recommended that one. I know if you haven't seen it now, you're going to probably go see it. Yes, I have not seen this one yet. And I remember you mentioning it as we were talking about the list and I just didn't get a chance to catch up with it. But yeah, I'm I'm interested in it. And you said that was nothing underneath. Nothing underneath is what it's called. Yeah. OK, I just wanted to make sure I, I noted that correctly. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it comes in a cool two pack from Vinegar Syndrome with that and its sequel. Like I said, its sequel's not very good, but it's got a cool cover that you can reverse with one or the other on it. Yeah. This is the one I almost picked up. And then what happened was vinegar syndrome had a sale of like a hundred movies and I have no money left. And so I was like, Oh, (laughs) we'll catch it on the next go round. Yep. And apparently there's a third one in this franchise made in 2011. I can't imagine it being any good. It reeks (laughs) of like the, uh, Argento with Suspiria Inferno and then uh, mother of tears. But anyway, that's one that I wanted to highlight. And that's my, Number 10. Dope. So, Raul, what do you have for number nine? Okay, well, I have thrown a lot of, like, funny movies out there, some hard comedy, and now we're, now things, now shit's going to hit the fan. Things are going to get real. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a shout-out to homeboy Bill Van Vagel. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> And I think you guys know what I'm going to say because my movie is Guinea Pig 2, Flower of Flesh and Blood. And this is a movie that is gross. It's very short. A woman gets abducted on her way home from work. I I don't even know if she was going from work. But on her way home, she is uh, knocked unconscious, wakes up tied to a bed, and is assaulted by a stranger in a like a samurai outfit that is just meticulously carving her into bits and pieces with the i guess goal of her turning her into a living flower of flesh and blood and this movie there's a lot of things that this movie will show you that 99.9% of movies will turn away from there is a lot of very on-screen violence. It looks pretty damn good. It's convincing. It is horrifying to watch. I've never even seen this movie in subbed. I've only seen it in like the original Japanese audio. Uh, so I I don't know a single word of like this movie's dialogue. <laughs> but holy shit, the visuals of this movie alone will stick with you for good or for bad. And for me, definitely for good. So yeah, guinea pig too. flower of flesh and blood. Love it. Inject it into my veins. You know, my favorite story around this one is, um, I believe it was uh, Chris Gore. The, fr- the film critic gave uh, Charlie Sheen a copy of this in the nineties. And he thought it was an actual snuff film and called the cops. So <laughs> That's uh, when you get Charlie Sheen involved, you know, things are pretty crazy. Yeah. But 
now this is one I'm sorry, Raul, I'm never going to watch. Um, but I, I know, I think Will did an episode on this over on Shapes and Shadows as well, going running down through the movie. And as you said, Bill Van Vagel loves this one, but probably not something that's for me. I uh, don't knock it till you try it, baby. <laughs> you know, that's true. But Nathan, you check this one out. I have not, and I won't. <laughs> not it's just it's because it would it, it. I you know I I know where my limits are, and that's beyond my limits of of, of something I want to see. Like I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not trying to knock your choice role because I think neither for a certain type of fan, I think this is absolutely like right up your wheelhouse. And I think this is probably something pretty extreme. I mean, I know Raul, you see, or sorry, you search out a lot of these like hardcore over the top films. And I think that's perfect for that kind of fan. Oh, bet your ass I do. I mean, hell, I was just talking with Bill earlier today uh, about plans that we have going on in September because every September over at Headlong into Monsters is uh, Extreme Horror Month. Sadly, this year we're going to have to dump it down or uh, condense it down to a single episode instead of the whole month long. But yeah, Bill's going to be on that episode. And yeah. And Ashley just loves that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she does not love that. <laughs> <laughs> But she, but she deals with it because like we do it in September because all like for, for her month, cause her birthday's in May and for all of the month of May, she picks all the movies and all the guests and whatever she wants to watch, we watch it. And my birthday's in October and we can't do that in October because yeah. obviously that's the spooky season. So <laughs> instead we bump my birthday month to September and I do some extreme shit. So <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if Ashley likes it because that's what we're doing. Yeah. Hey, somebody has got to do it, Raul, because I feel like there's not that many podcasts out there talking about films like that and um, some of the other more extreme stuff. So. Mm hmm. I'm just impressed you you get into that stuff and can sit through it. But I know I think I'm the gnarliest we ever got on Phantom Galaxy Bill was that movie Found. I think. Oh, that's the uh, like that's the the cover where it's black and white guy shirtless with a gas mask, right? I think so. Kid kid finds like a a severed head in his brother's like closet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good movie. Good movie. Wild. He got me, he got me to watch that one, and I was like, wow, this is. And that's not even on the same line of these things. <laughs> no, that one's pretty tame yeah. in comparison. It, it thematically very, very dark, but not on screen as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's Raul's number nine. Nathan, what do you have for number nine? Number nine is is very on the other side of the of the street from uh, American Guinea Pig. This or from Guinea Pig, not American Guinea Pig. Sorry, uh, which is House. Uh, again, you got another um, Friday the 13th alum here, Steve Miner directing House with William Catt and George Went and Richard Mull, basically a whole bunch of TV actors in this uh, haunted house story that also create, allows the house to sort of be, in a sense, the, 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 the antagonist kind of, you know, and it's also sort of this big playground for all these different things because uh, each of the rooms sort of opens up into a different place or allows different creatures to come out of it. And it's, it, you know, it's it, the opening of the film. It feels like it's trying to sort of 
bring in the like a very common Stephen King flourish where you've got a writer who is combating old trauma, his time in the war, and his son has disappeared in this house. His uh, aunt has taken her life in this house. His marriage is falling apart. And so you have the perfect setup for this to be a sort of psychological drama about this guy's inner demons attacking him. But instead, it's a movie where outer demons... <laughs> really do spring out of these rooms and attack him. And his neighbor, George, went at one point comes over and he's dressed in camouflage, getting ready to hunt one of these monsters that's emerged. There's a point later where creatures attempt to attack uh, the kid he's babysitting. And it's just one wild, goofy thing after another. This one I, is another one I feel kind of works as potentially as a gateway whore. has a few creepy moments. I think it's rated R, but it's, I think, definitely a mild R. A very fun movie had a couple of sequels that were also equally sort of wacky, but I I think that it's got a lot of good energy. It's a lot of fun. It is sort of a fun house style film, and it is definitely a horror comedy. I think that uh, in this case, Minor is absolutely sort of every time he has a chance to sort of undercut the horror with something ridiculous, he does so. I just find that both of those pieces work together pretty well. Yeah, and this is the one case apparently where I don't listen to Letterboxd and I had this on my 1986 list. So I I won't have it here, but, you know, rewatching that one, Nathan, I think I like a majority of House. I think there's some parts that lose me in it, but I think it's a fun movie. Regardless of what year it came out, I think uh, House is a good pick here. Yeah, it's a it's a solid pick. I I the first time I watched this movie, I absolutely hated it. Because I remember seeing the cover on it and like that rotting bone <laughs> flesh covered hand right at the door and just the title house. I'm like, what the hell is that? I would like see that in uh, in the in the in the, the 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 video stores when I was a kid, you know, those movie rental yes. brick and mortar places. And that cover alone scared the shit out of me. And to the point where I'd never seen the movie, but that cover stayed with me so much that when I was taking art classes in high school, I, I did like a whole semester of just like severed hands and body parts, like touching <laughs> objects. Uh, and my my art teacher was like, are you OK? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen a house? I haven't, but it looks scary. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that hand got a lot of work because if you look like it's on the cover of the chopping, one of the chopping mall covers, it's a, uh, it went all the house movies and it was like making the rounds. I didn't realize it had its own uh, career there in the eighties. That severed hand. Probably man. But I, when I first saw this movie, I was like, what the shit is this? This is what I've been scared of my, my entire life. I was livid. I was so mad. And then years later, I saw it again. I'm like, okay, you know what? I can fuck with this movie. So I, it took me two watches, but I legitimately love this movie. We actually just covered it a couple episodes ago on Headlong and the Monsters with uh, guest uh, Jessica from uh, Horrorcast. And it, man, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, love this. Love this movie. I think I was similar to you, Raul. I came up on it a lot the second time around when I just I rewatched this recently for this episode. And then for some reason, I didn't I was like, why is this not on my 1985 thing? And then it's on my 1986 list. And then I looked it up 
And that was a mistake because then I couldn't put it back on my 1985 list after I knew when it came out. So See, I don't think I looked it back up. I think you're 100% correct. It came out in February of 1986 here. But IMDb had the date as 1985. I'm going to stick with it. No, stick it. Keep it there. <laughs> okay, anything else on house for now? Nope. No. All right, on to my number nine, and it's the midnight hour, baby. <laughs> yes. And uh, as uh, what is it? Is it Wolfman Jack in this? Yeah, just his voice for like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a TV movie that I think ran on ABC and that you can catch on YouTube. And this one is perfect for the Halloween season. And I feel like this has been a good year for that. There's a lot of fall movies and ones set around that time. And the midnight hour is just insane. And you'll recognize some faces here. You've got LeVar Burton. And you have uh, Kevin McCarthy from um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers in here. But you're basically following this guy, this uh, high school student on Halloween. And, you know, there's a party to go to and there's all this other stuff. But, you know, he's having problems with the the girl that he likes and he's trying to impress her. And, you know, so what do they do? They break into a uh, shop after we hear you know, you've got this history of witchcraft and witch trials and all that kind of stuff here. And I think even LeVar, I, if I remember right, LeVar Burton's character mentions that or some, says something about that. In this one, y'all love witchcraft up here in the in the Northeast, but. This one's just a lot of fun, and I love the I actually really like the um, Sandy character in this who. Uh, plays a particular role. I don't want to spoil anything because I feel like this is probably an underseen movie. But this thing is off the charts crazy for like a TV movie, I feel like. But it's just so much fun. There's also a dance number in this one similar to Once Bitten. And it's definitely worth your time if you haven't seen it. I'm trying to be vague here because I feel like a lot of people probably haven't. Oh, I definitely haven't seen this movie, but it is now on my list. Yeah, that's a really good one to watch around October time, Raul, if you get to it. It's a must-see. It, it takes place on Halloween. It's a perfect Halloween one. And this one, I do think, this is 100% gateway horror. Like, you can show the kids this one. Slightly creepy, uh, but if you think your kid could handle the watching th the thriller video, they could handle this. And I, I can guarantee you that the whole pitch to ABC for this movie was, let's just make a full-length feature length thriller but that being said there's like a story here and there's characters that you like and enjoy and it's as much fun as a monster squad or a movie like that like it really gets into it i think the reason that we haven't seen it get a better release or like a blu-ray release is i think it's the there's a lot of music mm -hmm. used in the film that is clearly wouldn't would take a lot to clear. Like there's a really cool vampire attack down in a wine cellar that's set to, I think a Depeche mode song. And I just don't think that they, any of that stuff was licensed when they did it. Cause the movie's wall to wall with that kind of music. There's the I'm dead. You're dying song, which I'm pretty sure they just made up, which is probably yeah. fine. Sherry Belafonte in the film too. And so is Kurtwood Smith that most people probably remember. Oh yes. I forgot. Yeah. Red from the 70s show. And he's like, you're telling me a damn werewolf did this? You know, um, <laughs> this movie's chock full of of of, of creatures, of, of gags. But there is a there's a kind of a love story at the heart of the film 
that's that's sweet and fun and i mean yeah like this to me i grew up with this and i had it on vhs and it was to me it was a classic and then i realized that nobody ever watched it yeah and um there's also i'm sure you're in what was the uh the other female actress in this one that our main character had a crush on was it mary is that the name of the character in this one nathan or do you remember yeah i think so yeah he has some very good moments at the um the costume party i will say and <laughs> yes. that's but yeah i i'm with you nathan i can't recommend this one enough i think you recommended this one to me i don't know a year or so back and i checked it's it out the second thing i say to people after hi i'm nathan <laughs> have you seen the midnight well, hour? have you seen the midnight hour yes <laughs> but okay that's my number nine raul what do you have for number eight uh, well, we can kind of blow right past that one because I have house for number eight. Ah, okay. Nice. Awesome. That's synergy. Mm-hmm. Since you have it, we'll take a second. The only thing I have an issue with in this movie is those Vietnam scenes are are yeah. pretty uh, pretty wonky. Like they 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 didn't feel like they were well thought out in terms of the production. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to forgive that because the second those scenes are over, I can still think of like the dozens of body parts buried in the backyard. Hundred <laughs> percent. So like, yeah, there's there's things that aren't like perfect about the movie, but there's so many just on point, brilliant scenes in the, the movie giant marlin flailing like it's oh, Elizabeth yeah, Berkeley awesome. in the pool and showgirls. Yeah, stuff like that's Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. So, yeah, it's it's fine. I forgive this movie of all of, of all. Of it is all absolved. <laughs> it has entered movie heaven. You may continue. Mm-hmm. All right, Nathan, what do you got for number eight? Number eight. This is this is where Trey's like, oh, this is one. This would have been, you know, we've gone back and forth about the the. Sexy vampire women. This would be oh, this gosh. is where I can see everything going wrong for me, or right, depending on how you view this. Like this was a pivotal moment where I saw on TV and definitely shouldn't have, and and didn't see too much of it once my parents realized what I was what was happening. Uh, this is Life Force, <laughs> the alien, the sexy alien vampire movie, d- directed by Toby Hooper, uh, starring Steve Railsbeck, but more importantly, starring Matilda May, who is in the buff for literally almost this entire film as this alien vampire uh one of 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 a few alien vampires that are discovered on the ship in space and brought back to earth uh, where she goes on a sort of reign of terror and sucking life force from people and building an (laughs) army of vampires but again she does most of this completely nude in fact there's even one shot when i watched the movie recently in 4k i might add where they do that classic thing where the vampire shadow is cast on the wall above the the imminent victim, and it's a night watchman. He's at his guard station, and the shadow appears on the wall, but it's just Matilda May's bust sort of casting his shadow over him uh, before he is attacked. So, yep, Life Force. Uh, what what can I say to recommend it except uh, Matilda May? You know, I, I also saw this movie in... Uh in HD recently. And in that shadow, that bust you just from the shadow, you can tell it's cold in that, whatever they were filming in. It's crisp. Chris, the details are crisp and on point. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yes, Matilda may being super naked, like 90% of her screen time is 
fan like 95 percent of her screen time my gosh it's a um, lot it's a it's this yeah. performance is full full-bodied absolutely um yeah all that's great and everything but also this movie has fantastic like body horror in it oh yeah uh, the the animatronics the like the the, the 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 like mummified people that are just still moving somehow it it's freaky man like that is so uncanny valley to me it is very yeah. disturbing and how about that scene in the plane where she's like reconstituting with the blood like it's all forming you can kind of see her forming out of the blood and it, it like it, it's very bizarre looking and special effects i'm like oh these are very interesting they're not perfect because you know uh, but they're done in such a way they're far more interesting than cgi effects would be and I like the sci-fi story. It's wild and it's out there. It's definitely like a 60s pulp wild wonder stories kind of story. But I like all the weird places it goes. I mean, Naked Vampire Girl aside, it's a crazy movie. Absolutely, man. Like aliens that are vampires and make zombies. Like, yes, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) I am on board for this movie. I groaned, but I... I was joking mostly. I Nathan, I... This one did fall outside of my top 15, but honestly, I... I still give this thing like a seven or something. I don't hate this movie. Uh, I think there's definitely some good parts to it. You guys can probably pick out which good parts there are, but (laughs) I think I'm, I'll probably rewatch this one one day and maybe in higher definition and uh, see what it does for me. But I don't hate life force. I think there's some, definitely some great sci-fi stuff along with everything else. Nathan seems to be focusing on one point of this movie. I, I'm because when I it, it, when I saw it, that was the thing that was like, oh wait, there are girls in the world. Like that was sort of what you know. It was so pivotal. But the rest yeah. of the film is really interesting. I think that's one of the things about Toby Hooper's career is like he made a lot more movies than Texas Chainsaw Massacre that sometimes fall under the radar. But he was very good at this sort of thing of taking something completely ridiculous. And making you buy it, at least for the amount of time that you were watching the film. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a solid choice. I don't um, dislike this movie. If you heard that groan earlier, that was mostly joking because Nathan. At my expense. Yeah. (laughs) This is the uh, this is my um, Orochi, the eight headed dragon or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) because I always give you crap about that movie. But um, anyway, yeah, that's a that's a great choice for number eight there, Nathan. But anything else on Life Force? No. Um, we'll skim over my number eight because it is the new kids and Nathan had mentioned awesome. that a couple picks ago, but check that one out if you haven't. And just one thing before we do move on, James Spader is just completely menacing in this movie. I think it's one of his most sinister performances that he's given that I've seen anyway. Yes, it's weird because I think this happened before Mannequin, <laughs> which is not one of his more sinister performances, but but he's still sort of the quote-unquote bad guy. He's creepier here than I think he even is in later films because Mm -hmm. this doesn't have that sardonic, you know, he kind of comes off aloof and even somewhere tongue-in-cheek when he does these kind of uh, things later on. But this one, and then he did Jack's Back maybe the next year, I think, with with the the movie that revolved around uh, Jack the Ripper, and he was a modern-day sort of Jack the Ripper, and he was in that one. And uh, yeah, the one, two of those of these two movies, he's definitely very, as you said, menacing in a way that I don't think he has been in his stuff since. Yep. So it's worth it just for that. But there's plenty to love with that one. All right, Raul, what do you got for number seven? 
For my number seven, uh, I'm just going to talk about this movie very briefly because it's been mentioned already. And that is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. I did not know that this movie was generally disliked by like the public because uh, I saw this movie when I was younger and I was like, oh, that would make sense. Like Freddy just wants to come back to life. Like I, to me, it didn't make I it, it made sense to me, you know, in, in my youthful mind. So like to me, it was just like, yeah, the plot, you know, yeah, nothing I'm seemed super- off when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, that bird exploded. That's totally normal. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, and I I mean, I watched this after knowing all that, and I I think we're all three in agreement. Like, why is this movie getting so much hate? Like, I don't understand it, but. Yeah, and like, I, I mean, I'm an idiot, so I didn't see, like, the gay undertones and anything like that. And when I found out that that's what people didn't like about it, I was like, oh, but why, though? Like, that sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah, that no. is, that's a dumb reason. It's dumb, and when, I don't... Yeah, go ahead, Raul. Sorry. No, I, I, that that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a great movie. Fantastic special effects. I mean, when he's peeling his his head back when Freddy's peeling his head back and he's like that exposed brain, the scene where he's literally emerging out of, uh, uh, Mark Patton's body, right? Mark Patton's the, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mark Patton's body. My gosh, that freaked me out. That it's so damn good. Uh, also Kim Myers love her in a lot of things because she is a very attractive redhead in my opinion. Yeah. So the fact that she's in this movie, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think that's a good pick. Raul, you're not going to get any hate here, but uh, Nathan, what do you got for number seven? Okay. So number seven for me is the midnight hour. Like which, which we've talked about again, I would just stress, Check it out on YouTube. It's totally fun. It's a perfect Halloween movie. And you may want to give it a watch first, but I think it's also a great movie that you can sit down and watch with your kids. If they at least, you know, they have any kind of um, inclination towards horror, because it is definitely on the milder side. It was a TV film. It never went too far. Great, great makeup effects and stuff, though, for a TV movie. Like they yeah. did, They did some quality work here. You wouldn't look at it and think, oh, this was, you know, just a rando TV movie of the week that played like one time, you know? Yeah. All right. My number seven, and I am shocked that this one hasn't been mentioned yet. And that is The Stuff. And (laughs) I'm a huge uh, Larry Cohen fan. I've liked pretty much everything I've watched of his. And The Stuff was one that I didn't, I actually didn't like the first time around. And then I watched it a second time and I came up a lot on it and this of course is about a um a dessert that is kind of changing people and it goes in typical larry cohen fashion and um you know we have michael moriarty here in the uh the lead role i just love the way this movie is so goofy and it's probably the goofiest satire you're going to see on consumerism and um, overconsumption and all that kind of stuff. I I think it's similar to uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it's similar film, except much more comedic to something like Soylent Green. <laughs> but I'm sure that's probably not the first time those two have been compared in some way. But yeah, but that is my number seven is the stuff. 
You know, that's a great movie. And I don't, I don't know a whole lot of uh, Larry Cohen movies, but when I watched this one, I was like, I don't know how they are making marshmallow fluff, like look intimidating and (laughs) um, like horrific, but they are pulling it off. And there are some scenes where Michael Moriarty literally punches a dude in the face so hard that his face explodes and like just oodles of goo and like blood and the stuff mixed together. And like some of those scenes are really horrifying. I mean, it's not as graphic when it comes to what it shows, but what it implies is really, really horrific. I mean, it's also a body snatcher movie, which I absolutely love. Uh, body snatcher movies, you know, you never know who you can trust. Paranoia ensues and all this whatnot. But also, Marco Moriarty's character is just an ass, but the kind of like. <laughs> kind of douchebag you really want to root for like you're you're really hoping he wins you know that's typical michael moriarty i think you'll find but (laughs) particularly typical michael moriarty in the larry cohen movies like yes yeah same kind of character in cue the wing serpent and then he shows up Mm -hmm. return to salem's lot i like this movie a lot i love larry cohen as well it did just fall off of my list a little bit and uh and it's really gross in a fun way it's like a fun kind of gross uh that may be why it's sort of off the, the list a little bit but that there's this opening scene towards the beginning where the kid opens up the the, the refrigerator and the yogurt is just like doing the like macarena in the back of the you know just jumping all <laughs> over the damn place that's so what a weird thing but you know you said a little while ago raul and this was true of i think eight the movie posters in the 80s were so fantastic but they're so fantastic that they alone could give you nightmares and the actual theatrical or or at least vhs cover box for the stuff that had that showed the the contents of the refrigerator open and it was just poured out and it was people melted into a giant gross pile with their faces running all over the ground and pouring out of the refrigerator just terrified me as a kid. And so this is one of those movies I didn't watch for years. And I finally saw it and I thought, well, okay, I can get down with this. Although they still are doing what they were doing on the poster pretty, pretty convincingly. Mm-hmm. So that was my number seven role. What do you got for us next? The stuff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, I was either like, okay, I think we're about to the point where it's do or die for this stuff. Either it's on your list or it's not. Yeah, so that's great. We, uh, we're we almost on the same page there, Raul. All right, Nathan, what do you have for us for number six? Number six is George Ramirez, Day of the Dead. And uh, it might be, you know, for some it might be a little low. I, I love the movie. I do love Night of the Living Dead and dawn of the dead more and those i think when i saw them were more sort of like mind-blowing experiences you know seeing both of them and i didn't i didn't see this one in the 80s just outside the 80s a little bit like when i was in middle school because the ramiro night of living dead is a concept just frightened me you know i saw about 20 minutes of the original film was like this is really a creepy freaky idea when you think about it and yet the way he's built the story, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes on in Day of the Dead. I think when I first saw it, it felt a little bit like, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a retread. But then there's a lot of really cool stuff in there, including all the stuff with Bub the zombie and and what where Ramiro was sort of 
positioning the zombie universe headed in, there's a lot of really cool stuff there. And there's a lot of really good gore in Day of the Dead. And you know, you've got some on-point Tom Savini and everything. And the social, uh, I think he's very much on the nose in this film as far as the sort of social metaphors and, and ideas that Ramiro is sort of putting forth. They aren't quite as maybe well-devised as they were in Dawn of the Dead, but they're still here. But overall, I just find it it's a really fun blend of action, horror, and, and uh, social issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be... Um talking about this one a little later um so i'll save it for that but i don't i don't know if that's necessarily too low i think that's probably the the least talked about of the original trilogy i would say but i do think it's a great movie i'm gonna say it's a little too low but uh no it's 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 still a good it's still a good movie i i mean this is probably the second uh one of the original trilogy I ever saw, the first being Dawn of the Dead. But there's so many just iconic moments in um, in this movie. Everything from the training of Bud to him like saluting when the <laughs> when the major, whatever the hell his rank was, like it's torn to pieces. The entire just warring factions between the the hit them hard ground pounding military dudes that are just terrible people like friggin' assholes these guys and the scientists and how what they want to do and especially the the one scientist that they keep referring to as frankenstein now he doesn't give like uh, he doesn't give a damn what the military does want. He's, he's going to do what he wants to do. I just like, he's my probably my favorite character in the entire movie. But I, I mean, I just love, love, love this movie. Fantastic gore, great scenes, great dialogue. You really feel like this, the, the, the guy in charge or the guy that is put in charge uh, because he's like the highest ranked person still alive. <laughs> <laughs> You you really get to feel like he is a sociopath. Like he is playing that role perfectly. I love it. And and I should I should say that at least from my perspective, as a personal perspective, the five ahead of this are would you know would probably fall within some of my favorite horror movies. Period. If I was making like a list of best horror movies of the eighties, there's a lot of, in my opinion, really great movies at the top of this list, and. Day of the Dead is one of them. So it's it's really there because, in my opinion, the, the five ahead of it are even better. Oh, Nathan, I'm just giving you shit, dog. It's, it's all no, good. No, I, I got to return just, to living I was dead laying out that, number uh, 10. <laughs> that's yeah. true. But, no, I mentioned that because I do think this is another one. Not, not quite to the extent of uh, – and I think it's changed now – but I know growing up, I Day of the Dead did seem to be one that sort of got like some crap or was thought as where yeah, I think maybe main, mainstream media people thought that's where Ramiro stumbled. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's uh, actually yeah. like I'm not a huge fan of Survival of the Dead, but I like pretty yeah. much all of uh, his other films, like all of the, the that dead, that entire dead series works pretty well for me personally. Yeah, don't sleep on Land of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, no, I love that one. I, I like Diary of the Dead, too. I thought I liked what was done with that. It was not at the same level, was, but I liked was it. Was Diary of the Dead on the island? 
No, Diary of the Dead is the found footage one, kind of where okay. they're recording. I don't think it I've all. seen that one. Survival of the Dead yeah. is the one. Survival of the then. Dead one where the where the zombies are riding horses. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. That one, it just to me didn't quite work, but yeah, I don't think I've seen Diary of the Dead then. I I still refer to fireworks as uh, sky flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, my number six, I'm going to introduce with one of my favorite taglines, I think. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals and the cities will be your tombs. Yes. And my number six is the Lamberto Bava magnum opus of demons. And uh, this movie is just insane. I mean, you've got prostitutes and their pimp in this movie theater. You've got yeah, you know, you've got a blind man and his assistant who uh, may not be quite so uh, dedicated to her task. And uh, I mean, this movie is just crazy and over the top and insane. And Demons, if you're not aware, which I'm sure most people are, I feel like this one has really exploded in popularity over the last 10 years or so. But it is set in a movie theater where demons come out to play. And. My one thing I've always got to mention this is a shout out to my boy, Michele Suave, who is the masked man handing out the tickets in this one. Yeah, I just love demons. I love how over the top it is. And even though it's crazy and goofy, it's still pretty dire at the end of it. I'm, this is a pretty and it's pretty hardcore with like the gore and f- effects and stuff. And there's some pretty sick stuff involving uh, specifically Greta Greta has some pretty gnarly stuff going on, but I love the design of the demons when they transform and what they shift into. And yeah, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of this one. And also I enjoy, it's not talked about nearly as much, but I enjoy the sequel that might be because it's set in a high rise apartment and I love horror and high rise apartments, but either way, demons is my number six. So this movie did not make my list. It just kind of got squeaked out, mm-hmm. but uh, squeaked out. My gosh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it just barely got pushed out. I mean, I can't fault you for it. I do love this movie. It is fantastic. Bonkersness. It's crazy, but it also has a very nihilistic ending, like you were saying. And I, I love, love, love nihilistic endings. So I... You know, I, I wish I could have found room on my list for this movie. <laughs> Maybe I should have taken Teen Wolf off. No, I think Teen Wolf is fine where it's at. I think it needed to be represented. <laughs> this one's even higher on my list, so we'll talk about it later. Okay. See, I'm okay. by that, Nathan. I'm shocked that you had this one. I was like, Nathan's probably going to have a scene. Higher, Did right? you know there's a certain sort of anarchic craziness, you know, uh, watch crap hit the fans sensibility to me when it comes to some films yeah, and this movie scratches that itch but that's I do I, I have some things to say so I'll hold them cool alright um, Raul I believe we're in the top five now so what do you got my top five is a Dario Argento movie okay I like where this is going starring Donald Pleasance and my girlfriend from when I was like 16, Jennifer Connelly. Yes. yes, career opportunities. Woo. Oh my gosh. She was like, I would see her on screen and I'm like, no one will ever be as beautiful as Jennifer Connelly. Okay, we are definitely on the same vibe here. You can, you can ask him. Trey knows I talk about Jennifer Connelly whenever I get a chance. Mm-hmm. 
My gosh. Like she was the reason I watched the labyrinth, but uh, that's, that's not here or there, but it is. It's my, my movie is phenomena. A young girl of the boarding school sleepwalks and sees a horrific murder and then is, uh, becomes the target for this killer. And she has to find a way to use her, I guess, psychic powers of communication of telepathic, telepathic communication with insects to solve the string of murders. And, uh, Donald Pleasant plays like a, an entomologist that's wheelchair bound and has to have like at home assistance by a chimpanzee. It is, it is a really interesting movie. My gosh. Uh, Jennifer Connelly looks like an absolute snack. <laughs> Donald Pleasance is doing Donald Pleasance, which is always great to watch. <laughs> But it, I feel like he does kind of tone it down in this movie. Yes. Yeah, I think it. I think that's fair to say. Yep. And the, like the, the 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 violence in this movie is pretty dang good. I mean, there's a lot of like rotting flesh with maggots, with maggots and bugs. Yeah, Lots of bugs. bugs in this movie. There's a lot of yes. pukey scenes in this movie. Oh, the, yeah, that scene with a pit. I'm not going to say any more. That's just gnarly. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a scene where like Jennifer Connelly's dad, if right at the very end something happens and like no one was expecting it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite Argento films to talk about because it's like this is like riding that line between supernatural and like a giallo film like he's done, but this one's insane and i got to i got to say one thing this will definitely be higher on my list but have either of you seen the creepers cut of this the one that was the original us one yeah that's where I, that's how i saw it originally actually yeah that movie is hot garbage it is and i thought this movie was trash when it, as a yeah. result of it and <laughs> initially initially i'd seen that cut and then when when Netflix had first started out, when it was still, you know, you, you got, they sent you the disc and everything. I remember getting it and watching it with my wife and like, Oh wait, this is totally, you know, the pieces are the same. It's a totally different movie. It's like a half an hour shorter in creepers. And I first, I saw the original version, but when I ordered like a DVD or something for this back in the day, it was creepers. And I think I ended up like throwing it in the trash because yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, what is this? But wow, <laughs> I, I was furious about that cut. That was that cut out so much stuff and it didn't even make sense at it's all. It's incomprehensible and it, yeah. and it makes the scenes see, feel bad. And, and I believe it was just dubbed, you know, and it, it just everything about, I mean, I guess it kind of is, but like everything about it felt artificial and off and, because there was no lead up to some of the sequences and then the sequences would be out of order or they wouldn't exist at all. And it just really created this sense of this is a bad movie. These people weren't paying attention when they made this film, which is clearly not the case. Yeah. And of course it was new line that did it, but I don't see the reason for that because there was an international cut of this. that was like six minutes shorter. So I'm, I'm not sure why yeah. creepers was I've heard. Um, I think Gilman Joel's talked about creepers before but it had a fabulous poster that it did have yeah, um, it, did. it didn't didn't really reflect this film much but it was a fabulous poster it was sort of jennifer Connolly, half of her face 
uh, was eaten away by insects, and the insects were sort of forming her hands. I think elements of that poster are actually in on one of the fold-out posters, because I have the 4K of this from Synapse, and it looks amazing, even that gross yeah. pit. But um, <laughs> you'll hear more. Yeah, I won't. I probably won't talk too much about it, but it is on my list later on. Yeah, yeah sorry to derail that, Raul, but yeah, this is an absolutely fantastic movie. I love Phenomena. Same, and I've never seen like the Creepers cut, but it would make sense that uh, at least a while, you know, for the time that uh, I guess for an American release, they would try to cut a significant portion out of the movie because this movie is almost two hours long. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's it's a it's a long movie. It's a long watch, and it's not it's deliberately paced. It's not always like violence, violence, uh, horror stuff. You know, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of like character development and and whatnot, but. Uh, so, I mean, some people are going to have a problem with the way it's paced. I don't know, but I, I love it. It's a great movie. Yep. All right, Nathan, what's your number five? Well, my number five has been mentioned already. It is The Return of the Living Dead. Like Raul said, it's a totally fun movie. I love everything about it. I love the design of the creatures. I, I love that scene where they're interrogating the one, and... Uh, you've just got the top half of the zombie, so the spinal cord is flipping back and forth like a tail on the on that medical bench, and the you know the 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 zombie sending out across the road, oh, send more cops, <laughs> send more, you know, send more uh, paramedics. The that great balance of goofiness with pretty creepy atmosphere, and then an interesting way to sort of take in the same year that you get Ramiro following up his his dead series, I think what I like about Return of the Living Dead, why I return to it more often than say Day of the Dead, is is that I do, you know, you're right, Raul, a lot of those military characters are straight a-holes <laughs> Day of the Dead, purposely so. It's a point that Ramiro is trying to make. I But I enjoy spending time with this group of characters a lot more in Return of the, of the Living Dead. And, and that fluctuation between the comedy and the horror is i feel like just about just right on but it's 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 got a really camp vibe to it that reminds me it's channeling not just horror movies of the 80s it's also channeling sci-fi movies of the 50s and i like i like that about it yeah and i still will be talking about this one later it's not not yet on my <laughs> and list somehow both of us have talked about this movie and haven't mentioned you know Linnea quickly dancing on a tombstone. So no. it's, a, it's a different group, I guess we got here. Everyone's going to mention Linnea quickly dancing on a tombstone. That's right. I mean, yeah. It says a guy who talked for like at least six minutes about Matilda May and, yeah, her, and her silhouette. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, that's a good one. I guess I'm the asshole then because my number five is reanimator. I do have this one lower than both of you. And I assumed I probably would, but honestly, my top five are, I consider them all bangers and consider them all to be some of my favorite horror movies ever. And Reanimator was one when I was digging deeper into horror movies in college. This was one of the first ones that I watched. And Reanimator is, it's such like a, it has such a black comedy feel to it, but it's so like gruesome and grisly. And I think that's, par for the course with Stuart Gordon. He's always seen how far he can push boundaries and how far he can go. But I mean, this is probably where most people are introduced to Jeffrey Combs. So I think is just 
fantastic in this. You have Barbara Crampton as well. I mean, those two would go on to be horror icons in their own right. And I love their performances in here. I love all the characters in here. And to mention another sequel, I think the sequel to this one's pretty solid as well. But yeah, that is my number five is Reanimator. Solid pick, man. I mean, I that is something I'm going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Gordon, the late great Stuart Gordon, uh, doesn't never gets enough credit, in my opinion. No, he went some places. He always went over, over, uh, above and beyond where everyone else went. I feel like, and he did, he did things people wouldn't expect. I mean, he was on Slate for a long time to direct Honey I Shrunk the Kids and mm-hmm. contributed a good amount of the script that did end up in the film. Yep. All right, um, Raul, let's get to your number four. Well, uh, my number four we're probably just going to blow right past because it is, it is Life Force with uh, yes. Miss <laughs> May. And... I love that it's that high. <laughs> yeah i you know i'm surprised that i'm not surprised raul i feel like i feel like that feels right (laughs) it just feels right no matter what it's it should have won an oscar come on absolutely Uh, best best costume yeah best best visual effect until the may (laughs) practical effect practical effect yeah uh, all right. Well, Nathan, what do you got then? Can I just say life force? Um, <laughs> number, number four <laughs> is demons for me. And uh, the movie is nuts. It is crazy. It is unadulterated. It's very kinetic. It's strange. It feels like a dream. Uh, it feels like a music video that just runs for about two hours at other points. I love movies that take place inside of movie theaters. You know that about me, Trey, that that's, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those settings where I just, love the ambiance but when you could do something with it i love the last matinee from a couple years ago i love popcorn and joe dante's matinee this movie though it has that 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 moment when they're watching the horror movie on screen and there's this weird sort of transference where the things that are happening on in the film begin to sort of bleed over into the movie theater the way it's done in this movie is very trippy and strange while also being pretty campy and typical you get your dime store zombies or demons with the goop coming out of their mouths and the transformations and then later on you've got someone on a motorcycle with a samurai sword (laughs) eventually full-blown chaos with an entire you know something falls out of the ceiling and you're like what is happening right now and it's just madness from 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 the go but the way it's designed the style and the energy and everything it just draws you in like to me this is a horror movie. This is we're we're in this and there's no clear way out. It doesn't all of it make sense all of the time. There are things happening at every I, I could have fallen asleep and 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 dreamed this entire movie and I wouldn't have been surprised if you woke me up and said, Oh no, we watched something else. It wasn't that great. I love demons for that. So it's the experience of watching, it. and I did see this one not long after it was on VHS, and a, a friend had rented it, we watched it, and it's that kind of feeling. Uh, other there's other movies, lesser movies, I think that have give you the same sort of feeling. A movie like Spookies, where you're like, "What the hell is going on?" I don't quite get it. But in Demons, it's just all so well done in a way. You could look at it and just say, "This is what this is just madness," and it is madness. It is almost nearly incoherent at times, 
but it's got a very pulsing through line, and that's what I love. And, and I got the Synapse, the double feature. I still haven't watched Demons 2. It's sort of like, not in a bad way, I'm sort of saving it like, you know, yeah. like for a bad day or, you know, when, when I need when I need a, a good uh, horror kick, I'll I'll break out Demons 2. But I love the, the 4K of this is stunning. It has got a nihilistic ending, like you mentioned, but it's like that movie doesn't stop. That movie, what happens eventually is the camera goes to black and the credits come up and the movie is still going somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, something, Nathan, that uh, I forgot and you brought up here was the movie within a movie, I think, is pretty solid. I'd watch yeah. that movie. But, yeah, that's a that's a good choice. We've talked. I talked about that, I think, enough. But, yeah. Yeah, solid choice. I mean, the the the, the best thing I love about the movie uh, or the bit, one of the biggest things I love about the movie is this whole thing is going on in the movie theater or I, yeah, the, the movie theater in a confined space. And then at the end of the, at the end of the movie, you realize this is not a confined incident. That's what's really cool. It is spilled out and it's kind of, it, you, you watch it gradually pour out of the movie screen into the reality. And it's not a thing people talk about. That's the thing. There's no big dialogue about, Here's what's happened to us. It just is happening to them. And because it's happening to them, there's no time to stop and ask questions. You got to just shoot more monsters. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite things about the sequel is, and I'm blanking on his name now, but the, uh, the pimp makes uh, a reappearance in the sequel, but as a completely different character. The funny thing about the pimp, he is like, he's identical to a really good friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> and I send him a picture. I'm like, Hey, look, you just showed up in a movie. And he's like, what is this? <laughs> nice okay my number four i won't talk too much about because it's been mentioned a couple times and that is return of the living dead wow you did go up on this a lot on rewatch i did i yeah. was and the same thing happened with return of the living dead part three that i went a, a long way up on the rewatch but i i just really there's something about this movie that i really enjoy and um, I think it's unique at every turn. I think that's a lot of it is this is doing clearly it's doing its own thing kind of throughout, even though it's ripping off stuff as it goes. But yeah, I think this is just such a fun movie. And that's the thing about 85. I think there's so many like fun yeah. over the top movies, comfort movies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's my number four. Um, I'm sure Ashley is turning off the, the podcast right now. So because we know that's as far as it's gone. Right? We yeah. know it only gets to number four. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, the other movies don't matter. <laughs> yep. But okay, let's get our top three. Raul, what you got? Okay. Uh I doubt this this movie would be in your guys' list at all. And I was thinking if it was gonna be, it was gonna be like lower. So I don't I don't think this movie's on your guys' list. But it is Friday the 13th, part five, a new beginning. Damn enchiladas. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so damn fun. Yes, it's not Jason. Don't give me that shit. But like it is the reveal at the end that that yes, that the reveal is that it's not Jason. But up to that point, it is a fantastic Friday the 13th movie. And honestly, I think it's better than the first movie because it, it has a better reveal. I mean, the first movie, the reveal is so, so freaking cheap. I always hated the reveal of it's Jason's mom. It's just like, it's, it's a whodunit. Like who's the killer? And then it's a, someone we never fucking saw in the freaking movie. But <laughs> 
this movie, like you, you see it, you see all sorts of things in the movie. There are like winks at it. There's evidence for it. Yes. Like why the, the whole father and son relationship? Sure. Why the hell not? Uh, there's, there's problems there. There's loopholes that you can drive a truck through in this movie. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film, but I mean, the first one deals with the grief of a mother losing a child. And this one deals with the grief of a father losing a child. And I, I it, it's a, it's a better reveal. The kills are fantastic. And then titties, you know what I'm saying? This uh, <laughs> does. I'll give you that. This has the most of those in abundance mm-hmm. of, of any of the other films. Also, this movie made me realize that I also want to get serenaded while I'm just having terrible enchilada diarrhea. <laughs> and I don't think that's too much to ask for. That's the most romantic scene in the film, like, truthfully. Most romantic scene in the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue either. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this one, this one is not going to make my list, Raul. I will you're say- right. It is a movie. Yeah, no, (laughs) I'll give it this is that I've recently watched for two of these different episodes is um, this one and Jason goes to hell. And I would put this one above Jason goes to hell. So, wow, you're a hero (laughs) really going out there. (laughs) No, um, I appreciate that low fruit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yep. I appreciate it, though. And I, I think doesn't Ashley like this movie, too. Yes, Ashley and I are in the same boat on this movie. We yep. both champion this movie and love it dearly. And I think there's that. I think you're finding that throughout the entire Friday the 13th franchises. There's just certain entries that certain people love. I know Greg Bazzelli loves Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah, I didn't mean to call you out there, Greg, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I fe- <laughs> just use the first name and his last name. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember Wolfman always talking about Jason goes to or Jason takes Manhattan. Love it. Yep. <laughs> so I still haven't made my way through. I think what do I have left, Nathan? Seven and eight out of that box so. set to I watch. Think you do. So, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I checked. I checked those two off my list recently. I watch the franchise at least twice a year. Uh, yeah, and see, that's the thing. Where uh, I am. Particularly, I'm newer to this. I had never seen a, except for Jason Goes Hell, because I went with a friend to see it in the theater back in 93. The rest I had never seen all the way through. So until last year, I got that Shop Factory, you know, Screen Factory box set and then made my way through them. So I'm new to all of them and they're all still sort of, there's they're some I loved right away. There's some that are growing on me. I don't love five, but I'll say this. My issue with five has nothing to do with that reveal. I don't think that reveal is really a problem at all. It is kind of like, you know, it's like there's a shot earlier in the movie that's done so they can excuse us. What I think I said to Trey, I really, there's there's a lot of characters I just don't kind of care about in this particular movie. Uh, but I love Reggie the Reckless and I love Demon and his girlfriend. I wish that those characters had just been more forefronted. Like I would get, I don't need Tommy Jarvis per se. I want those characters to be the ones I follow for the majority of the movie I think it would have been better. Absolutely, man. I love, uh, yeah, I, I love those two characters. And Demon is so damn funny. Um, like to to this day, to this day, if my wife is being like just pushing my buttons because she likes to just kind of tick me off every now and then, you know, like married people do. 
Uh, so every now and then, my wife's pushing my buttons. I'll just be like, "You're gonna get it, bitch." So. <laughs> but they are—they are the few like likable characters in the film. You know, those those three, and I think if the movie had been built around them, you'd have. And I, I gotta admit, I do not like the hillbilly characters. <laughs> Sorry, the kill where he's on the motorcycle is cool, but the, it's the. He hurt me, mom. It's like did it come out a little Abner? Like what is happening? I'm with you. I'm with you, Nathan, on those ones, but but it's it's not it's it's another case where you know I think probably at this point they they were doing something different with the franchise and people didn't like that as much. I do think there are a lot of goofy things I don't necessarily care for in the film, but there are some things that I like and 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 Demon. And when I saw him because I'd just seen this recently, I was like, hey, look, it's Joanna Man. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, that's a call out. It's a it's a call out of, of something. Uh, but anything else, Raul, on Friday the Thirteenth? No, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a ten. <laughs> All right, what do you have for number three, Nathan? So my number three is uh, what the hell is my number three? <laughs> At this point, <laughs> we're just I'm just rehashing things that have already been mentioned. It's phenomena. And that is my number three as well. Yeah, so great, great film in the in the current form that it's in. But do see, you know, don't don't see the creepers cut. And I highly recommend that uh, that Synapse because they've got a lot of the mm-hmm. different versions of the film. They got a lot of really cool special features. This is probably one of my favorite Argento movies, honestly. And I think it's to what you said, Trey. It's the mix of the supernatural and the really wild stuff with the more typical giallo, but also I love, cause you've got a different sort of setting here and that setting and that countryside and everything, it's both spooky and beautiful. And yeah, it's a really cool way this movie is woven together. And like you said, Raul, it's a long movie with a lot of different pieces, but they're all very lovingly put together. Like it's very well developed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing we didn't mention is it's got a pretty good soundtrack and it's oh, even, yeah. It's got some um, Claudio Simonetti stuff from Goblin, but it's also got like Iron Maiden and stuff in this. <laughs> yeah. It's very different for an Argento soundtrack, but I love when that Iron Maiden song kicks up. You know, something's about to happen. But yeah, this is a crazy movie. I don't care which cut you watch as long as you don't watch Creepers. <laughs> You're just missing a lot of the movie and a lot of the atmosphere. If you yeah, it just doesn't way. make sense. But I love this one. This is also one of my favorite Argento films. And yeah. That's my number three as well. So we'll fast track this one back to you, Raul, for number two. Well, I'll uh, go ahead and serve this back to back to Nathan, because my number two is Day of the Dead. Nice. And I <laughs> talked a lot about this movie. One thing I really I mean, yes, not a lot of likable characters. It's not goofy. It's not really fun. But one thing that it is, is horrific. Yeah, like the gore is top notch, top shelf. It is so ooey gooey, moist, scrumptious, wetty. It's not even <laughs> funny. It's blood all, especially like the climax of this movie is just every, every everything is torn to pieces. Yeah, any subtlety that was applied in the original Night of the Living Dead and things like that it is out the window. But you, it, mm-hmm. it gives you that that that. Even more than the other two movies, at this point, you're like, you really know you're screwed, right? We didn't have a lot of the zombie apocalypse. We were starting to get more of those sorts of films now as a dime a dozen, right? But you really got that sinking feeling that the world is completely screwed, right? Like, we're never going to go back. And they're just nonstop. They're relentless. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So what do you got for number two, Nathan? My number two is Reanimator, which I, you know, I love the movie. I think it's a wholly original. It's, uh, I mean, it's, yes, it's kind of taking the, 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 the bits and pieces of something like, uh, you know, it's to, it, it's based off of Lovecraft, but but very loosely in a sense. It's more based off of I think Stuart Gordon's weird fever dream memories of like Universal horror films. You know, it's really taking the Frankenstein and even have you know and 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 remixing those pieces to come up with something that's profane, but but smart and funny and creepy and disturbing and thoughtful, like legitimately you can see the sort of frat boy and the serious like you know uh art theater patron like working in tandem here to make this movie that's got great dialogue great character interactions bizarre you know uh relationship with that head (laughs) (laughs) something you're looking at and you're like i can't believe i'm seeing this but it but at the same time that it feels like camp horror trash at one moment, it feels very uh, smart and interesting and, and absorbing in another. And then it, it avant-garde, like at another point, like towards the end, you're like, this is like, you know, guerrilla theater in a sense. And that's that's pretty much, I think the story with uh, Stuart Gordon, this is coming from a group, I think him and his wife were arrested yeah. for public indecency during one of their theater performances or something like that. All but, that comes through, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The guy, the, the guy who plays the professor, uh, the head, is, yeah. uh, from what I understand, that during the screening, his wife gets up and walks out horrified for that <laughs> towards the end with the head and Crampton, and from all accounts, and I think, uh, Stuart Gordon backs us up that that was the beginning of the end of his marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty, pretty upsetting, but you know, I don't think Barbara Crampton was uh, necessarily happy with the results either, but Hey, she got, she got some cult status for that. All right. Um, with my number two, I'm with Raul and it is day of the dead. This is one where we're talking about comfort movies. For some reason, this is an odd, like comfort movie for me. And, just makes me feel good. It just makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And I warm I just, and goopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love the Tom Savini effects in this. I love the, um, I, the thing is, is he has very, with these three dead movies, they all feel very distinct and different from each other. And they're all almost like completely different movies. You don't, often see this except maybe something with like um edgar wright's cornetto trilogy where things are just completely different with three films in a series and i i just love the scenario that's set up in this one and how the world progresses with each of these dead movies that we get and yeah i just really like this one a lot that's a good point too trey you know all the way through not a single one of them was like the other one Mm -hmm. all the way all the way through to the end yep he was always changing but yeah Okay, here we are. We're at our number ones. So, Raul, why don't you kick us off with your number one? My number one is Reanimator. And (laughs) this has everything that I love about the other two previously mentioned zombie movies. Um, It has like the silliness, the campiness of Return of the Living Dead. It has the like grossness (laughs) and like 
ex- pretty hardcore violence of Day of the Dead, but it also has Jeffrey Combs. And I think that's what pushes it over the top for me because his character is just so amazing because he's not the protagonist. He's the antagonist of the movie. <laughs> and he's the antagonist that you're rooting for. He's, uh, you know, the, 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 the lovable bad guy. And he's not endearing at all because he's, he's, he's a, he's a know-it-all. He's narcissistic I mean, he, he, he dies. I don't know how he comes back in the second one because he dies at the end of this movie. And his like last words are like, my notes, Dan, Dan, my notes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. The, when he spikes his head on top of that like envelope note paper <laughs> spiky thing. Perfect. Chef's kiss. No notes. And... Uh, Obviously, Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton is still gorgeous. She is still beautiful, and she's such like she she's such an amazing person. Like in reality, and she's obviously has some very lovely assets that are on full display in this movie. I'm convinced she's a vampire or something because she doesn't really age that much. I think she may be hotter now than even then. <laughs> Yes. When you see her in person and in like, hey, Jacob's wife from I think last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know how she does it, man. She must she she must feed off the souls of haters. <laughs> There's a lot of them to go around. <laughs> but I love this movie. In my opinion, I mean, obviously it's my number one. In my opinion, is the best movie of the year. Yeah, that's a great pick, Raul. But Nathan, what do you have for number one? Number one, uh, nostalgia's working overtime, but I think also this is just, in my opinion, a great movie, and it is Fright Night, Tom Holland's Fright Night, uh, with Roddy McDowell and William Ragsdale, Chris Sarandon, Stephen Jeffries. Just a, a wild, weird movie, but at the same time, I think that in 1985, it was kind of this perfect juxtaposition of you had teen comedies where kind of out in force and then you're taking the rear window idea and then marrying it to the vampire stuff but then there's this interesting thing that i don't think was happening as much in the in the modern horror in 1985 is that this movie does look back fondly on the films that came before it does you know some of the other movies like reanimator and like and return of the living dead kind of digested those older films. This movie is sort of a loving homage to those older movies, particularly Hammer vampire movies that were probably out of favor for the most part at this time. And But what I love is just the 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 level of care that's given to the characters, given to the special effects. There are some great sequences, including this scene where there's a, a attack by a wolf, a vampire has transformed itself into a wolf, which did happen in some of the lore and in Dracula. And this the result of, of what happens in the kind of transformation. It's a very poignant and almost sad sequence in the middle of a movie that does have some comedy, but the comedy is played against a serious situation in this sense that you've got this vampire, a host of a, of a late night show, a horror show who was once a star in vampire movies. He's being recruited by this kid to go kill the vampire next door. That's a great setup. And Ronnie McDowell is so good in this movie. I think legitimately in 1985, you, I think I made jokes about, Oh, the Oscar, I think a best 
uh, at least a best supporting actor nomination should have been in the bag for Roddy McDowell for this movie. I, I truly think that. But it's it's great fun. I love everything about it. It's one of my all-time favorite vampire movies. And I was a big fan of the 80s vampire craze. But this is the one that does it for me, uh, Fright Night. Yeah, excellent pick, Nathan. As far as my number one, it's, of course, The Purple Rose of Cairo. Good choice, good choice. But, no, it is Fright Night. and <laughs> this... Oh, yeah, so you're just messing with me this whole time, like in the chat and everything. Oh, yeah, well, I guess you say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my number one is Fright Night, and um, I absolutely love this movie. It's something, there's just something about it. It's fun, but it's also, you know, the first time I watched it, it was still kind of scary and kind of a really intimidating. I mean, listen. Anytime you get um, Chris Sarandon on screen, I'm going to be interested. I love him in most of the movies he's in around this time, especially. And I think it's a great cast. I think it's a great setup. And, you know, we would see it again in um, the remake, which I don't think quite captures the spirit of this one. But this just manages to be fun and also still a horror movie at the same time. And yeah. Um, I think you said a lot about it, Nathan. You pretty much took most of the words out of my mouth. So that is my number one uh, Fright Night. I was swinging hard because I didn't think anyone else was going to mention it. I was like, oh, my gosh, how did I get to the end of the list? <laughs> yeah. Um, Raul, do you uh, so it's not on your list, right? It is not. No. OK. Do you and I'm not trying to like pull it out. Do you not like this movie? I've never seen it. Oh, really? That actually makes me feel a yeah. lot better. <laughs> <laughs> that you haven't seen it. No, the only the only two movies that didn't make my list that I can think of that I've seen of this year were Demons and Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Oh, okay. I like that one too. <laughs> it's dumb, but I like it. Yeah, it's the best Mel Brooks movie that he didn't have anything to do with. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so that's in. Is there any? particular reason you haven't seen it roll over or just haven't got to it i just haven't gotten to it i mean okay i, I know i know I'll, i know so much about it i get now i feel really bad it's both of your guys is number one and i'm like oh i haven't seen it it's oh no no, no don't feel bad excited for you you should i think you'll dig it i really think you'll you'll like it a lot it's really it's just it's a good movie and it's that horror comedy where the comedy is happening, but it's not like it's not taking you out of the horror. Like the story is there. The vampire is always menacing, but he's also kind of charming. And the comedy is really more from Roddy McDowell is this he's, he's this old retired horror actor who's just running a crappy you know cable show and he's utterly terrified and now he's got to make the decision. Is he going to help these kids fight this vampire and to watch him? That's where most of the comedy comes in because he's, he's a complete coward. He doesn't want to do this, but he will if he has to. Yeah. And I understand Raul. I feel like if you haven't seen a movie like this, you probably know so much about it at this point. But um, I think if you liked once bitten, I think you'll definitely like this one. Cause this kind of takes that one and ramps it up and on most of the levels, especially the horror level. You know, I, I this was a movie that I wanted to watch for this episode because I figured it'd be on both of your guys' lists. The thing is, uh, I had to rent a few of these movies to either watch or rewatch. 
And I I have to pay for a new roof this month because oh, oh. my roof got absolutely fucked up by like a really hard hailstorm. And insurance is being a real bitch about it. And, one, and I'm still fighting with them. But at least part of it I have to pay for. So I was like counting the money like how much money have i spent like on rentals and buying a movie and i just did not have like the money to I even rent this movie because no, i don't own it a roof is much more important than um them watching this 1985 movie so don't don't worry about that there but um i think once you do eventually watch it roll i think you're gonna like it but i'm sure i will i'm, I'm excited to watch it especially knowing it's both of you guys is number one yep it's 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 in my like top horror films of all time in my opinion in, in 80s horror movies one of my absolute favorites but let's swing back for a minute because we we uh, we've touched base on sigourney weaver and on jennifer Connelly. how about gina davis in transylvania 6 oh baby <laughs> she is uh she is a snack and a half i tell you man she is she looks real good. <laughs> Guys, I haven't seen this one, but I do love me some Gina Davis. She, like just just for her costume alone. Like to be, the, yeah. But she's a she's amazing. They, you know, they didn't get her full potential acting until, you know, uh the fly, but Transylvania 65000 is just in a, a supremely goofy movie, but you should definitely seek it out and watch it. You know what's funny is I watched uh, Transylvania Six Five Thousand, and then immediately after that, I I because uh, my wife watched it with me, and I turned to her and I said, "We should watch The Fly," and she's like, "Why?" and I'm like, "No reason. Let's just watch it." <laughs> and then we'll watch Earth Girls Are Easy after that. Yeah, perfect trilogy. <laughs> and then you bring Jim yeah. Carrey back in from uh, Once Bitten. So there you go. Yeah, I got to check that one out then. That's going to be put on the list to to watch. I just thought it was straight up comedy, but I think from what I hear, there's some horror and stuff in that. Oh, it's or mostly it... straight up comedy, but it has it's horror tropes. Comedy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 comedy. Yeah, okay. there's no yeah. there's nothing scary in it, but it it uses the tropes of the vampires and the werewolves. And you got an Ed Begley Jr. and Jeff Goldblum at the center of it. So. So I was just looking up the genre here on Letterboxd. And it says horror and then comedy. And <laughs> I would I would flip those hardcore. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 fun. Yeah. Before we move on, roll. It sounds like you don't have any, but anyone else have any quick honorable mentions on here? No. Let's see. I think a lot of them that I would have mentioned. You've you've mentioned uh, Trey, or we've mentioned like Transylvania six five thousand. I would have mentioned. Um, and Roll just mentioned it. I will say uh, it's a weird and it's goofy, but the um, the the foreign film Mister Vampire with the we have oh, yeah. actual hopping vampires. It's a that's definitely full blown horror comedy. But I did quite enjoy that one. That's a Ricky Lau film, and uh, it is you you know it's in that vein. If you've seen movies like Chinese Ghost Story and things like that, it does mar- it marries the kind of wuxia martial arts film to kind of a spooky horror story involving vampires but it's also it's pretty wild i i do like it quite a bit it, it ended up just sort of off of the top 15 yeah i never did end up i only made it a few minutes in because i think the one i found was an english dub which was terrible and i never did go back and track that original version down but i did want to check it out 
the only other one I'd mention is uh, The Doctor and the Devils. It was a Freddie Francis movie from this year that was dealing with the uh, the grave robbers. Uh, they've made many movies about about those characters. And I think, uh, you know, even even more recently, but we've seen these the, this story before. The way it's done, uh, Timothy Dalton and Jonathan Price are in it. Actually, the late Julian Sands was in it as well. Had a huge cast of people, Stephen Reed and Patrick Stewart. But it, the way it's done, it's very interesting. It's very creepy, very moody. It, it does dovetail into horror, but it probably is much more of a period historical piece, which is why it didn't quite make my list. But it is a good, it's a good movie worth watching. I think the only one I would mention, and this one just missed my list, and this was one I had you watch recently, Nathan, is um, a Japanese film called Demon Within, or I think the Japanese is uh, Gakidama. And yes, this is this is crazy. Well, I think you'll absolutely like this. This is a shorter film. It's only it's under an hour. And I found it on um, archive.org. So that's a free like legal site that you can just go to and watch it. But it is this crazy Japanese movie about this. These little beans that kind of burrow their way inside you. And for lack of a better term, make you give birth to them and uh, it's pretty insane. It's goofy, but it's also taking itself very seriously while being goofy. So I really liked it. It's something very unique and something I wasn't really expecting. And there's a lot of mushy special effects, too. That there are. In fact, yeah. Once one of these creatures has left this guy, his one desire is to find it and like re-ingest it. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think it'll be right up your alley, Raul. Nice. All right, guys. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and run down. Um, I grabbed the top 12 box office, horror box office movies, and I'll go ahead and run down through them. Stop Guinea me pigs you... right at the top. Uh, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> but um, stop me if you want to talk any about any of these. Some of these are 1984 holdovers. Like our number 12, which is Company of Wolves. And that raked in 4.3 million. It was 133rd overall. You know what? It was an 84 film, but I remember this very specifically. It was released in 85, in April of 85, because when I was five years old, we went to the theater to see Baby Secret of the Lost Legend, the Disney movie with the dinosaurs. And I will never forget walking out of that movie and seeing that poster with the guy's mouth with the wolf snout sticking out of it. So (laughs) April of 85. Yeah, Yeah, that would have made your list, I feel like. It'd probably make your 84 list then. Yeah, but. yeah. 84 is where I see it mentioned, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, yeah, it would have been 85 in the U.S. Uh, number 11 is Day of the Dead, 129th overall when it pulled in 5 million. So that's a far cry from total? what Dawn of the Dead did. 5 million total? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, I know, I don't know when it released, but I know um, Dawn of the Dead pulled in, I think, like 60 million worldwide. So... Yeah, not a not a great uh, <laughs> release there. I'm, I'm trying to look up and see when that one was released. Uh, July 19th, so I don't think there's an excuse there. <laughs> yeah, that that one bombed, but it was a uh, summer hit. Yeah, <laughs> a hit to Romero's bank account. Oh, R.I.P. But um, no, I that's a, such a shame on that. I didn't know that, but because he got robbed out of Night of the Living Dead and making the millions on that. But I think with Dawn of the Dead, he at least made 
a well, decent amount of money. I will back. say this. When I look at, say, like various places, including Wikipedia and a couple other places, mm-hmm. they say that the, so for one thing, the budget was only between three to four million dollars to make it. Okay. But they, here I see the box office, and it's probably the total. It's still not great, but it's 34 million. So it's oh, really? total box This office. is coming from, so I just pulled this from Box Office Mojo. Okay. Which I found usually, but the, you know, the weird thing is, is it has a round number. It's just 5 million. So I wonder if there's something to that. So it says subsequent to the theatrical release, the film was grossed over $30 million. So it's mentioning that most of that gross, they're counting, I guess, in this case, VHS and DVD and stuff like that. So you are correct. It did very poorly at the box office. Yeah, that's a shame. Number 10 is one you guys were just talking about, Transylvania 65,000. Um, is 114th overall and pulled in 7.1 million. And number nine is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. And remember on that one, that one came out in November, so it probably still had some the next year. It was 113th overall, pulled in 7.2 million. At number eight, we had Once Bitten which was number 95 overall and pulled in 9.5 million. Number seven is life force, which was <laughs> yeah. 78th overall pulled in 11.6 million. I feel like that's not bad. Nice. I can give you two reasons why I pulled in that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, number six is silver bullet uh, 75th overall pulled in 12.3 million. Number five was cat's eye which was 71st overall, pulled in $13 million. Uh, number four was Return of the Living Dead, which is 64th overall, pulled in $14.2 million. Number three was the original Nightmare on Elm Street with its carryover from the previous year. That was 48th overall and pulled wow. in $17.7 million. <laughs> So that's pretty crazy. And I tried to, I saw there were a couple re-releases, like Ghostbusters was re-released and... There was another re-release one here. I tried not to count those, but if it wasn't in Maybe its original Gremlins run, the- Gremlins, yes, Gremlins had a re-release in '85. But I tried to just go off the original runs for this one, and that was still Nightmare on Elm Street's original run. Um, number two was Friday Thirteenth Part Five: New Beginning, and that was 39th overall, pulled in 21.9 million. Man, those movies were burning mm. it up like back in the day. Well, you got to think. I Part Four was. Uh, pretty well received overall, so maybe it was some of that effect too. Well, I mean, the Friday the Thirteenth movies were just printing money. I feel like in well, the, they, they in did the mention 80s, that. But... Like, if you watch the special features on these films, like in the box set, they do talk about that. Essentially, because they were coming out almost like right on top of each other, that it it wasn't really a testament to the film. It's to the individual film. Right, it did well. It was because when you get to part uh, six, it doesn't do as well, and they were like, you know, well that partially had to do with how people ultimately felt about five. And I think five was ultimately how people felt about four. So these movies were just so on top of each other that really it was your initial feelings right after whichever one came right before it. That makes a lot of sense, but either way, that's a victory for Raul. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's those movies work. I I forget. And those were big, you know, those are big studio releases really. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they were being made for a small amount of money, but the, they weren't indie films anymore at this point. No, they were uh, uh, Paramount, right? Yeah. At this yeah. Point? yeah. Uh, and the number one was Fright Night. 32nd overall pulled in 24.9 million. So horror is a little low this year. 
yeah, I, I'm kind of, I know a lot of these are a lot of the ones we talked about up top are either like international or cult classics. So it makes sense that they're not on the list necessarily. Like I think reanimator only pulled in like 2 million at the box office, but that would have probably got its second life on VHS. Okay, so that wraps up the box office for that year. Anything you guys want to say on 1985 before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, part f- Friday the 13th, part five. Great movie. <laughs> I will I will shout that from the rooftops till the day I die. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think you can see like in our, all of our top fives, really our, our top tens, but particularly top five, there were just a lot of fun horror movies released this year. And I, and that's one of the things that I come back to, particularly in more recent years. It's like, where, where are the fun horror movies, the movies that you could just have a good time at. Now, some of these movies are also very good movies. I mean that, you know, if they don't, it doesn't, one doesn't preclude the other from happening, but it does seem like in this period of the eighties, you people were making these movies with a primary intention of entertaining an audience. And a lot of these movies we're talking about, uh, you do you you hit the jackpot when you get something like a like the Reanimator or Fright Night, where it's able to do all those things. But all first and foremost, these movies were a lot of these were about having fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're past the because slashers can be fun in a way, but I feel like they're still mostly serious. But when you get to this part of the '80s, I mean, you're just getting wild stuff. Think about the next year when we get stuff like Night of the Creeps and all that too, and it's. Yeah, I think 85 was a very fun year and a very good year, honestly, from top to bottom. Yeah, it was a definitely good year. And thanks to you guys, I have a lot of movies to catch up with from <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah, let us know um, if you watch any of those, Raul, because I'd, <laughs> I'd love to know what you think on some of those. Absolutely, man. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know. It might be a little bit because I watched like four movies today, three movies yesterday. And at, at some point this afternoon, I had to like take a break. I had a real hard ADHD moment and I ended up just like reorganizing and moving furniture all around my, uh, <laughs> my theater room. I ended up like repositioning the wall that my projector projects onto. So <laughs> I, I had a pretty intense ADHD moment. So it's going to be a, a bit, <laughs> you know, I really appreciate that role. You really dedicated yourself to this. <laughs> this 85. So, but yeah. So speaking of uh, Raul, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you can find me on my podcast, over at Headlong into Monsters with my co-host Ashley. We do about three movies each episode, and we have a guest on for each episode. So me, Ashley, and the guest will each pick a movie, and we'll talk through those. But we also claim to be the ADHD of horror movie podcasts. So we do long episodes and fall into lots and lots of like rabbit hole tangents of random nonsense. Uh, so we keep the conversation fun. It's really just like friends hanging out and talking about movies. It's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, please check it out. We, uh, you can find us on Twitter at, uh, it, at into monsters. That's in the number two monsters, uh, or really wherever you find podcasts. Uh, and you want, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, you can follow me at Raul versus monsters. Awesome. It's been a long time coming, talking to you in a podcast role. I feel like, you know, we've talked back and forth on social media for all these years, but just haven't got the chance to to meet up until then. And uh, really enjoyed having you on. 
I loved being here, man. I would not have missed it for the world. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I, I need to have uh, you on Headlong and Monsters and Nathan. I need to have both of you guys on Headlong and Monsters because I love talking with you guys. I think it would I'm be really very additionally ADHD if I was on there. <laughs> it's okay. I think it would be like swirling madness, but I will be up for it 100%. Be a six-hour episode with yeah. all the tangents. We've and- got it. We were, we were working to get something to get you and Ashley on at one point. At this point, it would have been last October, so we have to make that make that happen to get you on phantom galaxy at some point and on horror movie podcast where both trey and i are co-hosting over there with uh, victor rodriguez and sometimes with matt rawlings who, who's got that whole project back up and running yeah absolutely i mean i'm so glad that's back up and running because i mean horror movie podcast is where i started my podcasting journey without them i wouldn't be sitting in front of a microphone right now uh, i'm so glad it's back i'm so glad you guys are part of it I we just did an episode with Victor like two episodes ago, mm-hmm. and he's a great guy. Awesome. I'm so glad he's part of it too. So, and honestly, to be on HMP in any sort of capacity would be a literal dream come true. So, if you guys ever want to have me and Ashley on, sometimes I would jump at that opportunity and do my absolute hundred percent, very best to not talk about. Matilda Swinton. So. <laughs> Matilda Swinton. You've just blown my brain apart because you combined them and now I can see them forming in my head into one person. Oh, uh, Matilda May. My gosh. Hold on. Nope, it's, nope. It's, I'm enjoying this. Just let it be. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. That's like body horror to the sexy degree. But like... <laughs> I'm for the record, I did mean Matilda May. <laughs> I can't get it out though. It's stuck stuck uh, won't come out um that's what she <laughs> said it's a personal problem that's body horror also um, hey this is a bound to break down at some point and it, and it has happened <laughs> but you know you can also find me and you can find trey many times over at phantom galaxy and with my co-host over there bill van bagel and victor's there a lot as well and uh we talk about science fiction fantasy horror and the, the crossroads of all that uh, but I'm getting a strong feeling, Raul, that we will have to invite you on for the next time. One of our best episodes, one of our most well-received episodes, <laughs> was the After Dark episode where we all talked about, uh, it wasn't even just horror movies, but it was like uh, erotic, it was just adult kind of uh, genre films in general. <laughs> so somebody mentioned Flesh Gordon, somebody did Body Double, you know. We'll have to have you. We'll mm-hmm. get you in on the next round of those things. In fact, I saw my phone blowing up, and somebody was like, "Well, we're doing another uh, After Dark Phantom Galaxy episode, Nathan." <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would be on board for that one hundred percent. Just let me know. And we'll have to get you and Ashley on for something less After Dark, but um, something <laughs> fun. But yeah, check us out. That's a Phantom Galaxy. You can find us pretty much where you can find podcasts. And we are Phantom Cast uh, on Twitter. That's with an F. And you can check out Phantom Galaxy uh, group page. And HMP now has a group page, thanks to, to Trey, a group page as well on Facebook. Yeah, and, and I'm a part of it. You are. And Headlong and Monsters has a, has a cool Facebook page as well. So check us all out. We do. Yeah, join all those Facebook pages if you haven't already, if you're on there. I don't use Facebook other than to go in the different yeah. horror podcast groups anymore. <laughs> that's about the thing. It. This community, mm-hmm. and I can only really speak for, you know, the community, I think that we're all a part of. 
it's it's really great. And it's really positive for the most part. You know, it's it's a great group of people. There's some of these people that I know. You know, I talk to a lot of these people day in and day out, uh, and uh, the people that I've met in person, they're great people. They're you know, and it's really fun to be a part of it. So if you're listening to this and you want to jump in and get involved and, and and get on the Facebook page and interact, we try to keep those places friendly and 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 inviting and welcoming and that's the that's the vibe you get you know from this group 100 percent uh yeah i just want to once again thank both of you for being on here taking the time out to do these i love doing these um list episodes where we just run down our favorites and it, you know it kicks me in the butt to get on some of these movies i haven't watched in a long time too so or i haven't watched ever <laughs> so but yeah, you can please go check out uh, Headlong into Monsters and Phantom Galaxy and Horror Movie Podcast if you haven't. And as far as this podcast, you can follow over on Twitter and Instagram at Screaming Ages. I do have my own Facebook group over there as well. And um, if you want to send an email or reach out, it is ScreamingThroughTheAges at Yahoo.com. But other than that, next time I will be linking... My two episodes, since this is a kind of a special episode, the next one after this will be kind of a combination of that Screaming Chronicles and a traditional Screaming Through the Ages where I'm going to be continuing Hitchcock and all that stuff, but also have some anime and games and all those kind of segments on it. So, But until next time, keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly dose of Screaming Through the Ages. 